The Captain's Run with Sam Edmund. Good morning. Now, is it just me or do we need this Boxing Day test to be absolutely brilliant? Are we due a reminder on these shores of just how great test cricket can be? How tense, how exciting, how skillful and brilliantly strategic the longest form of this game can be. And do we need a stung South Africa to push all of our buttons and more once again in a five-day affair that has these two nations boxing on well past Boxing Day itself? The answer can only be a resounding yes. Now, England is turning it on playing baseball, unearthing leg-spinning starlets, pulling the trigger on bold declarations and playing with an eye-catching assertiveness with bat and ball that's won the cricket world's attention. Now, we have snored through a West Indies series and a first test against South Africa, whose six-session result was more, let's be honest, farcical than fantastic. Yes, the T20 World Cup was a big occasion. It had India and Pakistan at the G. Pakistan themselves, they were a nice story of resilience and England delivered. But Australia didn't. And for a time, the weather and the washouts created as much discussion as the cricket itself. No, we need a bloody good Boxing Day test. We need... Every Aussie cricket fan's match of the year to be the match of the year. You know what we need? We need something like, we need the exhilaration of Shane Warne's 1994 hat-trick. Defratus, golf, Here we go. Fleming took the last one. Merv Hughes before him. Was it what? One-hander, 1994, as called by Tony Gregg so famously. Mind you, I would take take a sliver, something anywhere near the momentous nature of the late Shane Warne's 700th wicket as well. Got him! There it is! Wicket number 700! And they can't catch him! Shane Warne, through the gate, has got Strauss. Doesn't all have to be wickets. You know what I'd, I'd like? I, we need the amusement of perhaps a, a nice Gary. Off the top edge and bang into Smitho's hands. And next thing you know, the whole crowd's erupting. It was the best day of my life. Nice, Gary! Yes. We could even, we could even do with some controversy, perhaps... Something really juicy in the controversial stakes, similar to when perhaps Murley was no balled in 95. Well, this has appeared from nowhere. This guy's bowled a lot of overs in Australia, and all of a sudden from nowhere, he's now being called for bowling no balls. Well, I hope he's not calling him for throwing. He seems to be looking straight down. The, and he calls him very late, so I'm sure he's calling him for throwing. I hope it's not, but I've got a terrible gut feeling. I tell you, Bill, having looked at that, there is absolutely no doubt that he's called him for uh, throwing. Indeed, and he was. That was umpire Daryl Hare, famously, infamously, and uh, Tony Gregg and Bill Laurie all over it, as they often were in the commentary box. How about a last-wicket stand? Now, this is test cricket. A last-wicket stand with all the unbearable tension that Alan Border and Tomo delivered in 82-83 before Ian Botham struck. So close, but then that famous call, his... Got him. Ian Botham balls now to Jeff Thompson. He's got him. Second time, Tabaree knocked it up. And it was taken by Miller. Thompson has gone so close. England win by three runs. You can't forget that, can you? You cannot forget that. one 300 736 
is the number to call. And the 40 Wings temper text is 0433981116, which is what Jim has done. He puts it simply, we need, need in capitals, South Africa to win the toss. We need a good Boxing Day test. How do we get it? I'd argue we need a bigger crowd. Now, I was a bit surprised yesterday when MCC boss Stuart Fox told us they're only expecting 65,000 um, in the gate on Monday. Cost of living, cost of tickets, weather even too good. A festive season where we can now properly travel again. Away on holidays, of course, or the beach calling. Who knows? We are a hard lot to please when it comes to live sport at the moment. There is absolutely no doubt we've changed in that regard. one 736 736 All theories welcome. And I'd love to hear your most treasured Boxing Day moments. And perhaps whether you agree with me that we are in desperate need uh, of some more to add to them this time around. This is the captain's run for Cobra Golf. You can win, by the way, one of five putters via their Instagram account. Check it out today. And on the show today... Melbourne United CEO Nick Trulson's going to join us tonight. Marks the highly anticipated return of the open-air game at John Kane Arena. Now, United have won three of their last four. They are on the march. They're 8-11 on the season. Have they left their run too late? Maybe, maybe not. It's line ball. The top ends are in town. The Melbourne Stars, they're in action this afternoon, actually down the road at the Junction Oval here in Melbourne against the Perth Scorchers. And Stars young gun Campbell Callaway will jump on the line. Uh, the home side looking to progress to 2-1 and one on that season. Sydney to Hobart veteran and now Channel 7's Peter Shipway will join us as well, as will former Aussie Test and ODI quick turn coach Ryan Harris. Now, Ryan is Queensland Cricket's state manager, but recently took charge of uh, Queensland's under-19 at the National Championships. We'll get his take on Boland v Hazelwood as well. And I, I dare I say, we have got a fair collection of Chrissy songs. Ollie on the buttons today is going to roll them out. What's your go-to playlist? You know, or what Chrissy songs can you stomach? What can't you stomach? There's some iconic ones out there, some absolute shockers as well. So I'd like to think today we are going to scrape the bottom of the barrel of a few just to, just to sting you a little bit. But I'm sure we've got some classic ones in there as well. And so much, though, is uh, of our attention is lasered in on the Boxing Day test starting Monday. SEN Chief Sports Caller Jared Waitley is again set to bring all the action in the middle of the G to life for us here. And Jared will join us after this break. Joe's text in. Merry Christmas to you, Sam, and the SEN crew. Too nice, Joe. Looking forward to it. Just a couple of sleeps to go until the big man comes down the chin. Uh, we are here, of course, for Cobra Golf. Win one of five putters on their Instagram feed. And 40 Winks right behind us as well. You can get your unique bed match profile and find the right bed for you. 40 Winks, they are serious about sleep. And we are serious about sport here. A number of topics to get to, a number of guests to get to. Love your involvement right throughout the show up until midday. We'll catch up with Jared Waitley on the other side of this. The Captain's Run with Sam Edmund. Some breaking news out of Carlton before we straighten back up for the cricket. And it does seem as though with this football club, it is this time of the year, every year. The Blues have confirmed just a matter of minutes ago that Sam Walsh has undergone surgery uh, to have a microdisectomy procedure on his back. He had that surgery last night, the young Carlton midfielder and the head of football, Brad Lloyd at Carlton, says due to the long-term nature of this rehabilitation it isn't possible to confirm a set date for Sam Walsh's return right now. Once the opening month of the season has been completed, though, we expect to be able to provide more clarity on his expected return to play. So that is another 
off-season hammer blow for the Carlton Football Club with Sam Walsh, who had been struggling over the off-season, the early parts of the pre-season with uh, that back complaint. The conservative approach hasn't worked. And uh, the young ball winner has now gone under the knife. We'll chat about that. I'd love your feedback as well. Carlton supporters, one 736 736 For mine, a nasty dose of deja vu. But on to more promising things. And that is the Boxing Day test, just a few sleeps away now. And uh, Jared Waitley will, of course, be again be behind the microphone uh, at our Sporting Cathedral, the G. Jared, good morning to you and a Merry Christmas. Sam, hello. Yes, Merry Christmas to you. What a what a great way you've set the scene through that that opening of glorious moments experienced at the Boxing Day test. So, yes, there's an eagerness to get back there, I think, on oh, Monday. Is there ever. And uh, hopefully we get uh, some more to add to that highlight reel. I, I mean, the Boxing Day test, I mean, where does it sit in your sporting psyche, Jared? I mean, a lot of uh, people, myself, yourself, listening this morning, would have fond childhood memories of getting along each and every year. Where does it sit in your sporting psyche? It's high up there, but I must say, we, I very rarely went to Boxing Day before I started working. We, we would go either day two or day three. So that's where the difference is, I think, is mm. it sits comfortably with Melbourne Cup Day, Grand Final Day. That's where Boxing Day itself sits. But I often marvel. So I'll get there about eight o'clock. Um, on Monday morning, and if I wasn't obliged to work, I, I couldn't have dragged myself out of bed to go socially. <laughs> um, I actually think it starts too early, um, and the fact that you can spread it, really the first three days are sort of the cultural aspect. There's all sorts of breakfasts that are around it, and so you choose one of the three, and I do think there's probably a little bit of um, rose-coloured glasses. Is The Boxing Day crowd peaks for an Ashes test, um, I was just having a look back through. Was, I've got a crowd here of 19,000 the last time South Africa were here for Boxing Day. I haven't fact-checked that, but that's a very low number. Yeah. Um, but you're usually somewhere in the in the 50s to 60s. I'll probably hold the opposite view to you. If Stuart Fox thinks we'll get better than 65, I think that's actually a huge result for the day itself. Um, yeah, but it, it, it holds a slightly different place to the other two, I think. And the litany of events that you've just cast is... Some of those are best taken in from, from the beach or in front of the telly. Mm. And I don't know how many people will tell you they were there for Dennis Lilly's spell, but most of us were watching on telly or listening on the radio, and it's just as vivid. And yet last year, when Scott Boland did what he did, the, the, the day three crowd hadn't even arrived when he started to do it. It happened so early in the day. Um, but those who were there for it will forever have have that as part of their collective sporting imagination, but it, it, it loses nothing for those who are listening on the radio or watching on telly. Yeah, well, I was having a look at SEN. The digital crew upstairs went back through the numbers after Stuart Fox said he was expecting 65. Now, they had last year against England at only 57, but prior to that, we were talking, you know, COVID aside, mid-70s and into the 80s, in fact, for, for a Boxing Day uh, affair against New Zealand in the last couple of years. So, But look, it probably, as, as I said earlier, speaks to a a bigger uh, trend or a bigger change when it comes to taking in live sport, obviously, at, at the other side of COVID. Hey, we may pine, Jared for a Boxing Day cliffhanger, but that has been the case around the selection table for days and days. You're either in the bowling camp or the Hazelwood yeah. camp. I mean, as Adam Gilchrist said last night, it's a frightfully difficult decision for the selectors. Some say they can't lose, but they probably can't win either. And it's hard to recall a more difficult selection call. Is it? So, uh, uh, since... The start of last summer, Australia's played 13 test matches. Josh Hazelwood has played three of those. He's taken five wickets at 48. And Scott Boland has, ta- has played five tests and taken 25 wickets at 10.36. Mm. 
I just isn't that the answer? So you're not one for the credits in the bank theory? Yeah, but he's played three of the last 13 tests, mm. Josh Hazelwood. I'm not sure that he is the incumbent anymore. In so, fact, I'm absolutely certain that he's not. <laughs> so the only thing he's done wrong is basically get injured. Uh, no, he's been dispensed with a couple of times okay. during that period as well. Is I just think, isn't selection... Oh, I, I won't pose it as a question. Selection to me is about picking the right player at the right time in the right circumstances. And that is Scott Boland at the MCG. Australia knew that this was true last year and looked like total geniuses with that spell of six for seven. Mm. I just can't understand why you would even consider balking at it this year. He is the ideal bowler for the MCG conditions, however they present, and he is at the absolute peak of his powers, is I probably would make the case that if you didn't pick him and you favoured Hazelwood, then that would just be blatant favouritism, wouldn't it? Rather than actually selecting what's in front of you for this particular match. Well, I'm, I'm no body language expert, Jared, but I watched the vision of Josh Hazelwood bowling in the nets yesterday with Andrew McDonald, the eager observer, and he was pretty animated as well, and there was a lot of com- uh, conversation between the two. I mean, if Josh Hazelwood was someone who was an outside chance, then would Andrew McDonald have been... So hands-on in that net session? I don't know. I just looked at that and I thought maybe he's he's leaning towards Josh Hazelwood, but I might be reading it horribly wrong. Well, I think Australia needs Josh Hazelwood fit and ready to go um, because of the, the demands on the mm. bricks and the fact, uh, the fact that Cummins has already been injured. So he needs to be ready to go on Monday. And I suspect he does play at the SCG in his home test in those conditions. But it's just, I find it unfathomable. I, I am yet to hear anybody make the argument other than than historic performance of Josh Hazelwood. How could he possibly be in front of Scott Boland for the MCG? That it makes it makes no sense to me. I think it would be one of the, the most peculiar decisions in selection history, any sport, if Boland was left on the shelf for this game when the selectors should be basking in their genius from last year. Yeah, it, it would make you wonder what sort of message it would send if he was omitted. 25 wickets at 10.3, as you say, from his five tests. So I mean, it, not only has he done nothing wrong, he couldn't basically have done any more. So if he doesn't retain his spot, then what does that mean going forward, I, I suppose, is the other way to ponder it. I think it will emphasise to people that it's harder to get into the team than it is to get out. And that I noticed I was reading Alan Border's comments about Dave Warner today. So it's not about the fact that he can't make a run. It's about the fact that you don't want to promote anybody else. So that's, I think that's how a lot of people view cricket selection through the years. Um, just pick what's in front of you. And what's in front of you is, is so glaringly obvious. Boland is already in the team. And this is the test match that you're ready to let him loose for. So, yeah, any any other decision, um, I, I just think would be so odd. The other ongoing selection query, if I can term it like that, is obviously David Warner, who plays 100th test at the G. I mean, how many more he plays after that has been the source, as I say, of just as much conversation as, uh, I guess, Australian cricket, Jared wrestles with that familiar sensitive reality, the mortality of one of its stars and where to go from here. I mean, what's your read on a player who's had some sort of career and the path that both he and, and CA would take from here? Yeah, so I, we will only ever know what's going on in hindsight. Um, when Warner tells us how he's planning for the end. And he's already said that the end was going to be in the next calendar year. Uh, and we would only, only he and George Bailey will know exactly what conversations are being had. So that's, 
that's extremely relevant when it comes time to pick a squad for India. But I do think this week it's about, this is about acknowledging a true revolutionary in cricket. It puts him in the, I think he's in the rarest company in the history of the game. Um, an outstanding player across three formats, but he changed at least two of those. Mm. So he, he is the man who brought T20 into the public consciousness and he is largely responsible for the initial surge in popularity when it moved from a novelty to something else. Mm. And he did that on the MCG and he did it with his, with his switch hitting. And then he defied all logic, really. It was felt that that style of cricket could never be successful in the longest form of the game. And he has succeeded to the tune of 100 tests and he's done it in a way that that few others ever had. And he's got the, the numbers and the accomplishments to support that. And the sheer aggression and brutality that his batting brought to the, the most traditional format of the game uh, has had a that it has had a lasting impact. He's not necessarily the only player to have done it, but he's the he's the touchstone, I think, for Australian cricket. And a lot of the evolution that we are watching around the world at the moment, particularly with England, mm. owes to the Warner mindset. I think he changed the possibilities of Test cricket. He could change the flow of a match. Is quite often across five days, a tone was set. As he could abruptly change that through. Uh, the the pace, the the acceleration in his batting, so he holds his place as one of as one of the great openers anyway. But a true revolutionary, I suspect it puts him. Uh, there would be a category of between five and ten for the historians to work through, and he would easily sit in that. I do wonder what sort of wicket he'll be batting on as well, Jared. Come Monday, I mean, yeah. obviously the the pitch and the state of it in, up at the Gabba, such a talking point. Now, Matt Page down here has basically been told to not read the press, given the pressure yeah. that's come on him and his team. I mean, they've got a narrow target to hit these days, Jared. It is, and it's a it's a living, breathing target as well. So that makes it. We've just seen how difficult it is. Is the, the Brisbane curator didn't mean to prepare that pitch, but that's mm. what we ended up on. So I'm a, I think Stuart Fox and Matt Page in combination have done an enormous job on on pitches that I felt after, what, 2017 and 2018, the only thing that could be done was to stick the TNT in it and blow them up. So those pitches uh, were pronounced dead. They developed a strategy before the replacement projects happened some way down the track around the, the grass levels. The pitchers have favoured the bowlers since, and I'm in favour of that. I do agree with the notion that pitchers that are slightly in favour of the bowling make for better test matches. They are more likely to produce thrilling test matches. And then when it goes wrong, you end up with a a two-day test match like you had in Brisbane. Mm -hmm. So the MCG, I think, is under... uh, They would like to back off where it was last year. I don't think they want a test match that finishes in two days and a session. Uh, And I think that is emphasised by what's just happened in Brisbane. It's imprecise. So what does does 12 mils of grass become 10 mils or 8 mils? And what does that do? If you take too much grass off, does it lead you back to where we've been, which are those turgid batting pitches at the G, which nobody wants? Um, So I think think Page and Fox have have credits in what they've been doing to be trusted. Um, Yeah, and... Uh, we'll all go there hoping. We want something with a bit of spice in it, something that provides a good contest and, and something that, 
that is able to be savoured over a slightly longer period of time. Now, Jared, can, can I talk to you about sprint car ownership, please? I mean, this cricket chat was just Ooh. a ruse to get to your blossoming love of this form of motorsport. I mean, tell me about James McFadden and the grand annual sprint car classic in Warrnambool that I know you've got an interest in. So we took our car to Warnable last weekend for its first drive. Yeah. Uh, so we'd been getting photos from the workshop as they'd been building it, and it's a it's a smashing looking car. I tell you, it looks fast. <laughs> it does look fast sitting so still? Put, yep. So the reports out of the ball was on the hot laps. It was the fastest car uh, out there. Brilliant. Um, I think we had a little bit of trouble in qualifying, so we went into the main race fourteenth, yep. and James steered us through to run second. So I'm a when it comes to horse racing, Sam. I'm a videos man. You watch it. Oh, I like the way that's coming through. Mm. I really like the way that that's come through. So <laughs> we have a series of races where we're gonna we're gonna trial at uh, Mount Gambier, Avalon, and back to the Bull a couple of times to be ready for the main event on January 29. Um, yeah, but I think uh, I feel like we're in great hands with James McFadden, who seems like a ripper fella. Yeah, uh, and the car, the car is fast. So look out, Grand Annual Sprint Car Classic, January 29. Look out. <laughs> He's had a fair journey, Jason Fan. You're lucky to have him behind the wheel. Hey, Christmas Day sport in this country tomorrow, Jared will obviously debut. The Kings taking on Melbourne United, 6.30pm up in Sydney in the NBL. I just wanted to quickly ask you, your first, or your impression of this, is this an icebreaker or is it going to be a deal breaker? Do we, do we go on from here? Yes, yes, I think we do. So th- this is, uh, whenever we stray to this conversation, mm. is you don't, you don't have to watch sport on Christmas yep. night, right? So nobody's imposing it on you. But by the evening and all the festive cheer that we've had, I, I like to go and sit on the couch at about half past eight. And inevitably, all there is is the Griswolds. Now, I love the Griswolds, <laughs> and who doesn't? But year after year after year, just a little bit of a variety wouldn't go astray. So, yeah, I'm totally in favour of something there on Christmas night. Of course, it's the NBL as the great innovators who have done it. I think it will be successful. It needs the buy-in of the players. But there are plenty of people around our community who work on Christmas Day. And I think to arrogantly assume that we all have the day off, that is a great disservice to a whole lot of people who will be listening now who know that they... They have work on Christmas Day. So, yeah, you don't have to, but I'll be glad that it's there. I imagine I'll get to it at some point. If it was the BBL, I would definitely get to it and flick that on after we've had the leftovers for dinner and mm. once it all simmers down a little bit. So, yeah, I think I think over time, Christmas night sport will be, it'll be a permanent thing that you can either enjoy or let pass you by, just like the carols on Saturday night. I'll be watching carols. I'm not saying everybody has to, but it's just a nice choice to have. So yeah, I think this will be the start of something. And I think cricket will probably look at this soon enough and go, ah, it should have been us. We should have done it. We had the right product in the BBL, but we just weren't, we just couldn't quite solve the stadium piece. And I, I think that's what basketball is doing. Couldn't agree with you more. So as I set you off into the day, Jared, have you got your menu sorted for Sunday? I know you're pretty handy with the blade around yeah. the kitchen. Yeah. So Sam, so we had our first Christmas yesterday. So we do my family and Claire's family uh, on different days. So I'm, I'm one in. I, the turkey yesterday was a triumph. <laughs> uh, the ham, I, I changed recipes on the ham this year. I just wanted to give something else to go. I was really happy with it, how it came up. Yes. But I've got that decision to make as to whether to default to the previous or whether to, to stick with that. Um, but 
yeah, Paul the butcher help, helps me out with the turkey each year. I pick one up and cook it on a couple of days out. That's my practice run. I'm ready to go. I, I feel like I'm hard to stop from here. <laughs> Very nice. Great to talk to you, Jared. Uh, Merry Christmas Good to you, idea, and, you and the family. And uh, can't wait to listen to you on Boxing Day. Enjoy it. Have a great Christmas to you and yours and to everybody listening. I look forward to being with you on Monday. Great to hear from you. Jared Waitley there, uh, SEN Chief Caller, of course. Uh, a big Christmas day in the Waitley household leading into a big day for him, Boxing Day Test. And I knew I knew he would be strong on Boland and Hazelwood. Now, what did he say? He said, Boland's the ideal bowler for the MCG conditions. He said, if you pick Hazelwood, I'd consider that blatant favouritism. Strong thoughts indeed. David, sit tight in Ballarat. I'll get to you straight after the news. Andrew in Nidri, keen to get to you as well. Don't go anywhere, guys. Appreciate your patience. We'll take these news headlines and be back with you. Temper, they are the consumer's choice winner. Temper mattresses, pillows and adjustable bases conforming to the exact shape of your body. We're off and running here on the Captain's Run. We'll be back after these news headlines. Ian Botham bowls now to Jeff Thompson. He's done him. Second time, Tabaray knocked it up. And it was taken by Miller. Thompson has gone so close. England win by three runs. Oh, that was one of the great test matches. I just love that piece of commentary from Richie Benno. And, and David's been waiting on the line ever so patiently up there in uh, Ballarat. David, we appreciate you hanging on. And Merry Christmas. Welcome to the captain's run. Uh, thank you very much, yeah, and to you. Look, I can remember that game. We were down from Barrett with some mates on day four, and the ninth wicket fell, and I think it was 74 runs to get. So I think my friends are ready to get the early train home. <laughs> and uh, I said, no, let's just hang on, just see what we can do, because I've you know, followed a few um, close run chases before. Anyway, we got knocked off half of it, I think 37. And, of course, they weren't interested in coming down the following day. What a waste of time. Mm. Uh, but I did. I came down, and I reckon there might have been 20,000. Um, and it was just an eerie silence for the whole time. And they just inch forward and inch forward, and your hopes were there. And unfortunately, they were dashed with three runs shy of the target. And uh, I just will wish uh, someone would take a taken a swap and had a go at a boundary perhaps at the over before. But uh, anyway, that's the way it goes. It was a very exciting game. Yeah. And so they were nine for 218 overnight, weren't they? I was I was re-watching a bit of it uh, this morning, David, and obviously chasing 292 for the win, um, three runs short. And I think they had it as, yeah, something like ten to 20,000 faithful. You'd have to say rusted on um, optimists rocking up on the day itself. Um, an amazing partnership. I thought I must admit, watching uh, AB dissect that uh, field, taking the quick singles. This for me, David, is Test cricket at its absolute best. I agree. Yeah, um, yeah. As I said, the, the, they actually um, hit seventy-one out of seventy-four required, so they went very close. Yeah. But uh, yes, that tension, tension. I, I agree with you. It really makes Test cricket such a great game. Yeah. Some of the great cutaways too to the crowd when it was happening. Everyone on the edge of their seat. Everyone biting nails. It's that unbearable sort of stretched out tension that makes the longest format of that game so uh, captivating. Good on you, David. Appreciate you calling in this morning. Uh, Andrew's in Nidri. He's joined us uh, on the open line as well. G'day, Andrew. Merry Christmas. Uh, Merry Christmas to you and your, and the whole team at SEN. It's been, I'll just turn the radio down because we didn't have background there. But now I'm going to be a bit controversial in my, uh, my thoughts about cricket. Um, 
Um, now, I used to follow cricket in the 70s and 80s and that type of thing because I knew the players. I knew, and, and you've been in your uh, uh, summary state, you've had Jeff Thompson, you had all, you know, all the highlights through this, the English Test uh, Series, all the great names. Um, I can't name, and, and this is what I'll say. If you look at the uh, beer ad, uh, the Canadian Dry uh, beer ad, uh, uh, basically people preferring Canadian Dry to beer, I, I, I would suggest cricket's in the same is in the same boat. People are not basically attaching themselves to cricket as they used to. They're, they're no longer following cricket as we did in the 70s, 80s and 60s, or people in the 60s, um, because um, I, I can't name one South African player I cannot name one West Indian player. We do not have any, you know, we've had the Warner issue in cricket, which is not a positive. It doesn't go, it doesn't sit well with me that, you know, Warner is the main focus of this um, series and he's bad form. Um, You know, the characters aren't in the Australian side um, and people are turning off. And and the diehards will go to the cricket and the diehards will watch it on TV. Not the diehards, I shouldn't say diehards, but... You know, cricket mm. uh, followers who are pure will keep on watching it, but the um, I suppose the um, what do you call them um, uh, the, the social casual follower, observer, yep, casual observer aren't doing it because there's so many things. Yeah, you know, I, I would rather watch. Um, uh, well, I'm a bit of a punter, so you know, I'd rather go to the races, but um, um, but something really entertaining. But if, if I was able to attach myself to you know, like um, uh, some good cricketers who, you know, uh, uh, got some character. Um, yeah, the Australian side is very dull. Well, Basically pre- a dull side. Appreciate the call, Andrew, but that's that's probably modern professional sport, isn't it? We, we don't have the characters we once did. I mean, Hughes text in, used to love going to the cricket. This generation is soulless. That's a bit harsh from you. That snippet of highlights was full of characters, which world cricket has none of. Mark in Geelong, MCC will be lucky to get 65000 on Boxing Day. Ticket prices are ridiculous, Mark says. Not about crowds now, just the money. Uh, and if Hazelwood gets picked over bowling, then I'll guarantee he will get booed when he bowls. I certainly hope that's not the case. Josh Hazelwood has done nothing at all to deserve that. Surely we are better than that as a cricket-going public uh, to, to boo Josh Hazelwood, who's been a fine servant. Uh, of uh, the Australian cricket team in, uh, in in multiple formats of the game. So I certainly hope that isn't the case. Hey, the Melbourne Stars are in action, as I said earlier, this afternoon down at the Junction Oval against the Perth Scorchers. Uh, they're one-on-one on the season. Their young gun, Campbell Callaway, will join us on the other side of this break as the Stars look to move in two and one in the early stages of this Big Bash tournament. So we'll catch up with Campbell on the other side. Plenty of footy news floating around as well, and your calls are always welcome. one 736 736 You can get your unique bed match profile and find the right bed for you. 40 Winks, serious about sleep. The Captain's Run with Sam Edmund. Green is going again. He bowls to Callaway, who cuts and gets an edge, but gets it away. That's out towards the boundary. That will be four, and that will be a maiden first-class half-century to young Campbell Calloway. Well, this man has had some sort of a year. As you heard, his name is Campbell Calloway. He's a 20-year-old Victorian cricketer on the rise, and he's certainly turned some heads in recent months. And he's in action today in a few hours at the Junction Oval as his stars meet the Scorchers in the Big Bash from 3 o'clock. Campbell, good morning. We appreciate your time, mate, and a big Merry Christmas to you. Thanks, Sam. Thanks for having me on the show. 
Bit of a head-spinning sort of 2022, hasn't it? Uh, you must be thrilled with uh, your progress, which we'll detail in a moment. But uh, does it feel like a bit of a whirlwind, mate? Uh, th- yeah, there's been a lot of cricket on at the moment, Sam. It's, um, but I'm loving it. It's been a it's been a busy month, but I'm just trying to um, take every opportunity in my stride and make the most of it. I think those that weren't familiar with your journey uh, became so after your performance, obviously for the uh, the Prime Minister's eleven up at uh, AB Field uh, in Brisbane against that South African pace attack, where you scored an unbeaten century up there. I mean, how much of a thrill was that against, obviously, the, some of the highest class opposition you can face anywhere in the world? Yeah, like you said, it was um, it was awesome to face some high quality bowling. Um, guys like Rabada and Jansen were. Following with some good pace on a wicket that was um had some nice carry in it, so yeah, it was definitely a, it was a new challenge for me. But um, I was loving the loving the opportunity to um play against guys of that kind of caliber. Yeah, because I mean, I mean, the, I guess the, the more hardcore sort of um, cricket following set will would have seen you in action at the Under Nineteen Cricket World Cup over there in the the West Indies this year, and you performed very well there. I think you averaged close to forty eight runs and, and made a couple of half centuries. But we all need sort of uh, Moments of assurance, I'd imagine, as we progress through the ranks. So for you to do what you did against South Africa, I'm, a, I'm sure you've got enormous self-belief, but how big was that in terms of validation that you're on the right track and that you potentially do belong long-term? Yeah, I guess um, going into the game, knowing that there were some high-quality bowlers um, in their side, I guess to be able to make a few runs against a side like that shows that um, you kind of you're on the right track and you're you're doing the right things and the the hard work that I guess you put in behind the scenes is um, is slowly paying off. So yeah, that was a nice nice little box to tick. And we'll talk BBL in a moment, but of course you made your first class debut for for the Vicks uh, last month, I think against Tasmania, and then uh, as we just heard recently, uh, that vital eighty one in the second dig of uh, Victoria's sixty nine run uh, victory over New South Wales as well. So how have you how have you found the first class stuff at, at Shield level? Oh, I've been loving it, Sam. It's um it's been awesome at the Vicks. Uh, guys like Pete and Chris Rogers have been awesome in. Uh, making it easy for me to slide into the team and, and play my role in the middle order. Um, and it was awesome to get a win against New South Wales. Um, we love beating those guys. And it was a really good game at the Junction Oval as well. So to be involved in a in a win like that early in, early in my career was uh, was something that I was really grateful for. And I think your big bash debut, I know you didn't get a chance with the bat, came against the Hurricanes at the G. I mean, what, what do you, how have you found just the... Your only limited exposure to this format—it's a—it's a whirlwind and a helter-skelter format. I mean, what's your approach to the to the big bash? Uh, yeah, I guess coming off a couple of months of red ball cricket, it made it—it um, it was quite a fast turnaround. Then going into the T20 setup, um, but I guess I was just trying to embrace that, and um, even even if my preparation was was not as extensive as I would have liked, I guess. Uh, just being able to stick to my processes and keep things as simple as I could with the bat and then bring good energy in the field. I, I think if I keep it simple, then it, it makes it um it makes it makes a bit easier. Yeah. It, so today, um, I mean, not often the Stars play at the, the Junction Oval. Uh, I'm speaking to you, which I, I find really generous of you, five hours before this game. Are the Stars third on the BBL ladder, one and one? And what's the approach to this game? The Scorchers have been a... A good team for a long time in this tournament, but uh, the early signs are, are relatively good. I'd imagine it, it, at your club, despite uh, obviously the captain not being there. Yeah, I think 
the boys are really confident heading into this game against the Scorchers. They're obviously, like you said, they're a quality side, but um, we're in a good place at the moment and coming off a good win against the Hurricanes is a real confidence boost. Um, guys like Joe Clark batting really well at the moment and our bowlers um, performed performed awesomely. So, it was, um, yeah, I think we'll, we'll take a lot of confidence out of that game and we'll back ourselves to get the job done today. Brent's text in while we're talking here, Campbell, and asks if you're any relation to Duncan Callaway. I'm sure you get this a lot. He's your uncle, am I right? Yeah, Duncan's my uncle. So, yeah, I do get asked that question a fair bit. <laughs> and I guess the follow-up question inevitably is, did you ever play footy? Uh, I played a bit of school footy, Sam, but um, cricket was always probably my passion. So, uh, yeah, once school footy was done in year 12, COVID actually um was the reason they got rubbed out. But once once that happened, cricket kind of took over. And, yeah. Well, mate, it looks as though you made the right choice. I love watching your development uh, this year and in recent months. Best of luck today. Uh, the, the BBL season beyond that, whatever comes uh, beyond that for you, which hopefully is plenty. Merry Christmas, mate, and uh, good luck today. Thanks, Sam. Thanks for having me on. Campbell Calloway there. What a great young man he sounds like. Uh, Melbourne Stars, uh, young gun, uh, certainly a star on the rise with the bat for Victoria, for the Stars, and who knows, maybe something bigger in the years to come. We'll take a break on the Captain's Run. A lot of your texts dropping in. I'll read through them on the other side. Nice, Gary! The Captain's Run with Sam Edmund. Yes, it is, and we're here with big thanks to Cobra Golf with one of five putters on their Instagram account. Edgar was Campbell Calloway. Uh, off the text, the best Melbourne cricket club player since Brad Hodge. Uh, obviously promised with the bat, but what a fine young man he sounds like as well. Hopefully we speak to him again soon. Paul's text in, this society is soulless and have a phone in their hands. How did we win World War One and Two? Not with this society, soulless and heartless. Yes, and read the text out that you do not agree with for once. Give it a quality of airtime, buddy. Paul, happy to read out your text when you're not abusing me. When you are, it makes it a little bit difficult. People just look for things to be outraged about these days, says Ben. The Aussie cricket team is victim to this. Tall poppies indeed. Sorry, says another. I love the new team and I go every year. All this talk about people not going is because of the cost. I'm paying 165 bucks for Boxing Day tickets. That's from Emma in Windsor. Uh, Brett, he says there are three reasons for reduced live cricket crowd numbers. One, the expensive factor. Everything is too expensive. Number two, people are still a bit standoffish because of the COVID pandemic. And three, a lot of Australians have fallen out of love with the modern day Australian team. I did like this one. The first thing that CA selectors look at when picking between Boland and Hazelwood is a residential address. So Josh with the New South Wales address is a walk up. Media give the players so much crap if they are characters, but still whinge that there is no characters in sport. There's probably a little bit of that, isn't there? Um, And we're taking a Christmas song nominations as well. Can't beat How to Make Gravy by Paul Kelly, says Brad. Mistress for Christmas, ACDC. There's one for you, Ollie. That's from Matt on the Gold Coast. We've got a stack of carols. Modern day, ones from yesteryear and everything else still to come. Stay with us, though. A stack of sport happening. We'll detail all of that after this. The Captain's Run with Sam Edmund. Great to have your company on The Captain's Run, brought to you by Cobra Golf. Uh, get on their Instagram feed, you can win a putter there. Uh, stacks still to come. Nick Trulson uh, will be our next cab off the rank. He's the CEO of Melbourne United at about uh, half past ten today. 
The open air game is back against the Cairns Taipans. We're going to catch up with Ryan Harris up there in Brisbane. Sydney to Hobart veteran, uh, now Channel 7 uh, commentator Peter Shipway will join us uh, as well. And plenty of your calls and texts welcome. The lines are open, one 736 736 Now, by the way, just in regards to the open line, we'll happily take your nominations for Australian Sporting Performances of the Year. Have you got Cam Smith at the top? Have you got Ash Barty at the top? What the Socceroos have been able to deliver? Uh, speaking of the world game, what Ange Postacoglu was able to do over there at uh, Celtic as well. We had a Commonwealth Games this year, so plenty of those uh, nominations are welcome right throughout the show. So we've got plenty of audio to play, and I've got my own thoughts, and we'll love yours. So one three hundred seven three six seven three six. The breaking news this morning: Senator Carlton and Collywood. Now the Blues had the bad news. The Pies had the good news. We'll start with the bad, and if you missed it earlier, the Carlton Football Club have confirmed that Sam Walsh's back complaint has actually seen him go under the knife last night. Now, he's had surgery to have a microdisectomy procedure in his back. Now, we got a text earlier saying, surely the Blues knew he needed surgery. But, I mean, the nature of back surgery is that it is often a last resort option, which he can understand. They went down the conservative path first. It did bother him late last season, the young midfielder. Rest, and then the early stages of the preseason showed that uh, he hadn't made any progress. In fact, I'm told Sam Walsh was in a bit of pain in recent uh, days and weeks as well. So he's gone under the knife. They've uh, removed a bulging uh, disc portion to relieve pressure on his nerve. So this is uh, a long-term recovery. This is the great shame of it. And the head of football at Carlton, Brad Lloyd said, due to the long-term nature of this rehab, it is impossible to confirm a set date for his return right now. Once the opening month of the season has been completed, though, we expect to be able to provide more clarity on his expected return to play. So from what I'm told, if he features in the first half of the season, then that's a, an optimistic point of view and probably an expectation that if he is able to get out there sometime before rounds you know, 11 and 12, that would deem to be on track and a good result for the Blues. So that is a blow, and I'm sure Carlton supporters listening this morning will be thinking, oh, no, not again. It is this time of the year where they seem to uh, get whacked by the injury stick, and uh, this year with one of their most talented uh, players in Sam Walsh. So that is a concern. Over at Collywood, though, nothing but good news again for them. Jack Crisp has signed a new deal. Uh, Brody Mychek has signed a new deal as well. What is it with these Christmas deals that are happening. John Newcomb yesterday on Channel 7, I saw Mitch Cleary reporting, signed a new three-year deal as well. We'll hear from him a little bit later on. But Jack Crisp, no free agency pursuit for him. It's a three-year deal. And Brody Mychek has signed on for another two years as well. What a pickup Jack Crisp has been at Collingwood. Second consecutive Copeland Trophy for him. Equal highest in the uh, Brownlow medal count for Collingwood as well. And he did play his 200th game um, at the Pies this year as well. And Brody Mychek, we know, forever punching above his weight in that forward line where he's often been the lone target. Um, now he has some added support uh, via the trade period uh, as well with the pickups they've done there. So I really think Tom Mitchell as well in the engine room will make a big difference to Collingwood. So some big news there out of Collingwood and Carlton, albeit for very different reasons. Uh, the Big Bash last night, gee, the Sydney Sixers, they needed that. Much needed win in the Big Bash. Rain-affected uh, hit out against the Hobart Hurricanes at the SCG. It turned out to be a 14-over affair, some lusty hitting. Oh, some eyebrows were raised when uh, Moses Henriques won the toss and batted for the Sixers, but, geez, it paid off because Philippe and Patterson went like the clappers at the top of the order, Hayden Kerr at the back end. Now, they got to 137, and they had Hobart seemingly under control in their response. 
Who saw Asif Ali last night give them an enormous scare at the death? Now, he hit Asif 41 off 13, four boundaries, three sixes. It was astonishing, really, because the Hurricanes needed 45 off the last 10 balls, and they nearly got there. I reckon if Ali hadn't held out in the last over, it would have gone right down to the wire. As it was, the Sixers got it done. They hung on. They won by six runs, and that was their first win of the tournament. Tasmania's pursuit for a team, and not only a team, but a stadium to host a 19th team in the AFL. There's been some real developments there. Now, we spoke to Brent Costello from Win News Tasmania on SEM Breakfast yesterday. He told us that uh, the Tassie Premier Jeremy Rockliffe was due to meet with the Prime Minister Anthony Albanese later this week. Now, that meeting actually took place yesterday where Premier Rockliffe handed over the state's final business case to the federal government. And this is absolutely key. The ABC is reporting that Tasmania is seeking $240 million in funding from the Fed. So about one third of the total cost expected total cost of this stadium at Macquarie Point in Hobart. So the Tasmanian government themselves are contributing a whopping $375 million, the AFL $15 million. So the stadium's either going to come in cheaper or there's some private investment. It's a on paper, about an $85 million shortfall. Now, the ABC is saying, the Tassie government are saying that will come from borrowings against land sale or lease for commercial uses. As we know, this roof stadium has been described as a key requirement for Tasmania's entry to the AFL from 2027. Um, it has faced political challenges, though, from all sides down there. The Labor commissioned opinion poll recently now, they're saying 67% of Tasmanians oppose the idea of a new stadium and the funding devoted to it. Tasmania's federal Liberals have also voiced opposition in certain sectors there. The ABC is saying the business case does make the argument that the stadium would generate $85 million in you know direct economic activity per year, ongoing jobs, some 950 of those, 4,200 construction jobs as well. And I have um, gone into further details. What we're most interested in is to what the roof stadium might look like down there at Macquarie Point. Um, and they've used a stadium in Christchurch as an example. Now, it's being built at the moment, the Tekaha Stadium in Christchurch, which is scheduled for completion, they say, in 2025. Hobart Stadium will have a similar roof structure, a north-facing clear roof, and a solid component at the southern end, the capacity a bit smaller than that one over in Christchurch, 23,000. So there might be a combination option there as well, corporate and event spaces also. So this is the last hurdle. We know that. And now the business plan has been presented. It also detailed the issues with Bell Reeve Oval. Now, I know a lot of us, a lot of you listening in recent days and times whenever this conversation has been brought up, why can't they play at Bell Reeve? Why can't they play at Launceston? Well, the business case down there, included the inability for expansion at Bell Reef just due to the nearby residential areas, the distance from the CBD as well, the lack of transport, public transport to get there. And they're saying that the government also argued that this Macquarie Point Stadium would benefit from uh, an expanded Derwent River ferry service for new terminal terminals. So it'd be great novelty to get a ferry to the footy, I would have thought, down there in Hobart. So we'll see how this shakes out on the other side of Christmas. Um, Jack, Chris, Brody, my check off the text. Both re-signed at Collingwood. A nice early Christmas present for Pies supporters. And might be a little biased, Sammy, but Jamie Elliott's clutchness is my sporting hero of the year. Sinking the Bombers and your Blues in the one year. I mean, geez, that was unbelievable. Collingwood season and Jamie Elliott right at the centre of that. The set shot in round 19 to sink Essendon, matched by that goal on the run to 
well, really to uh, completely destroy Carlton's season in the final round as well. Both completely unfathomable and yet delivered with unbelievable skill. I mentioned John Newcomb. He signed on at Hawthorne, a new deal for him. Runner-up, if you don't mind, in the Peter Crimmins medal uh, this season. What a what a what a bolt to fame it's been for John Newcomb. 2021 mid-season draft pick, rookie pick last year. Explodes on the scene, sets the AFL record for tackles on debut, and then uh, with a full season um, at his feet this year, really did make hay to finish second in the best and fairest behind uh, James Sicily. And he spoke to Mitch Cleary on Channel 7 last night about signing his new deal at the Hawks. It is nice, a little extra Christmas present, so it's a good feeling. Grew up a Hawks fan, so it uh, means a lot to be sort of staying in the brown and gold for the next three years. Now tied to Hawthorne to 2026, the 29-game sensation is desperate to build on a breakout season as a best and fairest runner-up. High-end speed's a big one, trying to have sort of that agility and breakaway speed from stoppage to sort of gain an advantage to go forward. Lee Matthews' ideal inspiration, the 21-year-old taking on Lethal's famous number three, leading a midfield without previous owner Tom Mitchell and Jager O'Meara. Big shoes to fill in a way, but I'm really excited with the chance to, I guess, try and excel in that area and take on that responsibility. Newcomb even eyeing a spot in Hawthorne's new look leadership group. The likes of Sis, Jars, Maury, um, myself and a few others are all going to try and take what's there and make the most out of what's the opportunities that are presenting. There you go, John Newcomb there, uh, a big new deal for him at the Hawks and very much the face of uh, what, you know, I guess, or the centre of what Sam Mitchell's trying to do there and uh, bring that resurgence to life at Hawthorne. He is a key player and that is John Newcomb. Uh, there's another Jai, though, coming through on the text. Uh, I have a feeling that Jai Hindley might be your sporting hero from the year, Sammy. I know you love chucking on the Lycra. Guilty as charged, whoever sent that text in. And, yeah, Jai Hindley winning the Giro d'Italia, the second biggest stage race in the world. Not bad. For a young fella from Perth, he's quietly spoken, Jai Hindley, very unassuming young man, but gee whiz, massive guts. Big kahunas, as they say in the classics, to win an event like that. And he held off Richard Carapaz, uh, of course, Colombia's Richard Carapaz and Mikel Lander from Spain as well, um, especially with Richard Carapaz having all the power of Ineos Grenadiers at his disposal. That was a big performance, rewinding to the first half of the year with Jai Hindley winning the Giro d'Italia. Um, Newcomb would be a primary list upgrade too, I'd say, says Dom, uh, as a 2022-23 rookie list via the 2021 MSD. What a bargain pick for Hawthorne. I think he might have been a rule changer at Hawthorne too, Dom. I reckon the way he arrived at Hawthorne with that little deal on the on the quiet to get him there, saw the rules changed in terms of uh, the mid-season rookie pick. Just um, speaking with that, checking that out. But I think that caused a stir from rival clubs at the time as well. Taking your sporting nominations for sporting, Aussie sporting performance throughout the year. Might be Cam Smith, might be Ash Barty, might be the Socceroos. Love your feedback on that. We'll go through them as the morning unfolds. Christmas songs as well. Kevin Bloody Wilson, I'm told, has a few good Christmas jingles. I don't think they're fit for radio play. Where's My Bike Indeed? But no, we won't be playing those. Sizzling Summerland by a Scat. That's from Wayne in Brisbane. Best Xmas song, says David on the lawnmower, um, is Fairy Tale of New York by the Pogues. Okay, I'm not familiar with that one, David, but uh, we'll jot it down. And we'll, Ollie's on the buttons today. We'll play some uh, carols in and out of the break today. Speaking of which, we might just get to one. And I'm going to detail some of my favourite Aussie sporting moments on the other side. Stay with us. <laughs> The Captain's Run with Sam Edmund.
Maybe that's the Pogues, is it? I think it is. A lot of texts coming through on the Pogues. In fact, Mosa from Cobden's text in saying Vance Joy covering the Pogues for a tale of New York is also great. Good on you, Mosa. Who also adds that if Tassie has an AFL side, he would definitely travel down every year for a weekend, even if my cats weren't playing. I'm with you. I reckon the artist impression of the Devils down or whatever it's going to be down there at Macquarie Point is absolutely spectacular. I know politics are at play with the funding and there's always money better spent elsewhere, health, education, all those sorts of things. But uh, from a purely football perspective, it would be amazing, A, to see Tassie get a team and B, to have a state-of-the-art roof facility down there for games uh, in the winter would just be absolutely amazing. Uh, Cam has texted in, Sammy, my sporting moment for the year. And yes, I'm very biased. Is Sam Doherty returning for the Blues and then kicking that goal in the first game this year? The way the players got around him was so raw and emotional. Um, hi, Sam. There's this one from Wayne in Frankston. My sporting highlight of the year was definitely Melbourne beating Carlton at the MCG in round 22. I thought we were done sitting there with my family, who were all Carlton supporters. With three minutes to go, Carlton look home, but we got the job done. I was the only happy one on the train home. Regards. Good on you, Wayne. Glad you enjoyed it uh, anyway. Oh, what about Bruce Springsteen? Santa Claus is coming to town. That's from Tone. Good on you, Tony. There's a nomination for us. And another nomination here, left field one, uh, sporting heroes that got no recognition but definitely deserve some. Back in October at the Nitro World Games in Queensland, for the first time ever in competition, two Aussies, Harry Bink and J.O. Archer, landed a triple backflip on the dirt bike. Was amazing. And a lot of nominations coming through for sporting uh, achievements of the year for our Aussies. It's certainly for mine, Ash Barty right at the top. It is hard to separate Ash Barty and Cam Smith for individual performances on the biggest stage. Ash Barty winning the Australian Open, the drought breaker there, and then the retirement uh, in the, the weeks or months afterwards. And then you've got Cam Smith, the 150th uh, edition of the British Open on the old course, then goes and defects to live golf. Both massive stories. What about Ash Barty, though, at Rod Laver Arena? Ash Barty is the Australian Open champion. There you go. Cam Smith, uh, those of you who watched this, oh boy, you were rewarded. You might have been moved to tears. A clutch performance uh, with the putter, um, record-breaking final round. A five-birdie sequence from 10 through the 14 will be recounted for a long, long time. But that for mine is also right up there, Cam Smith. It is hard to separate the two. I'm a sucker for the Socceroos. I couldn't believe they, A, they made the World Cup. Couldn't believe they made it out of uh, Group D, I think it was, in the end, into the knockout round. And they did so because they stunned the highly rated Danes, Denmark, 1-0. What a ride we were given by the Socceroos in 2022. Throw comes in, left sideline. Not a down by McLaren. Backus has it. Aaron Moy follows up. And that is it! Australia are into the round of 16! Yes! Incredible! For the first time since 2006, Australia are into the World Cup knockout phase. There you go. How beautifully. Oh, how's the excitement in the voice, Jordan Canellis? Archie Thompson in the background there. They're almost uh, lost for words. Certainly Archie was. Uh, no one saw that coming. I, th- I reckon I can say no one. Maybe apart from Graham Arnold and that inner sanctum and his players who bought in so spectacularly to his management style and philosophy when all the critics 
had him sacked before they even got on the plane to Doha. What a ride it was from the Socceroos in 2022. Frank's in one turner, though. We're taking some Christmas song nominations as well. I must admit, I'm a tad naive to the Christmas song playlist. I mean, I know a bit of Mariah Carey, a bit of Michael Bublé, but you guys are taking me in. There's some many, many uh, wild and wonderful journeys with the song nominations this morning. Frank, Merry Christmas to you. What do you got for us? Oh, mate, this is probably, this dates me, but it's uh, Slade. Uh, Merry Christmas, everybody. It was their biggest hit, and uh, they still play it a fair bit on UK uh, over Christmas period. It's um, It was a, a big song in uh, in uh, UK, you know, uh, but uh, even here, out here, it was a big, big song too. Hang, hang on, uh, Frank. Frank, hang on. Is this it? Tell us if this is what you're yeah. talking about. Is that it, Frankie? Yeah, I don't mind that. There, mate. You're right on the money there, mate. Oh. Hey, and all the best for you guys and all the SEN crew for uh, Christmas. I've had, a, I've had a great year listening to you guys, and uh, you've done a fantastic job. And keep up the good work, Sammy. You're doing a great job. Too kind, Frankie. Merry Christmas. Not a bad song choice either, by the way. I might chuck that on the rotation uh, come Sunday. That's got a real sort of head-nodding feel to it. Um, Keep your nominations coming through for Christmas songs. What gets you going on Christmas Day? The other nomination for Sporting Performance of the Year by an Aussie I wanted to mention was the Commonwealth Games. Now, love the track events at the Com Games, the Olympic Games. So Ollie Hall's stirring victory in the 1,500 metres flow to my boat at the Com Games in Birmingham. It was always going in, written up, according to the experts, as the most competitive race on the men's track program anyway. And there was Ollie Hoare saluting spectacularly. It was so beautifully brought to life by Bruce McAvaney as well. And this is the moment it took place over there in Birmingham. Kip Sanctuary, Hoare lifting here, lifting with a big run into the stretch. Whiteman leads. Ollie Hoare's coming with a mighty run with Chariot. The Aussies are charged. Chariot goes up. Here comes Ollie Hoare with a flashing run. I reckon he's going to get this. He's won it. He's done what Herb did in 1958. It's an extraordinary moment in Australian sport. It's one of those that will etch in the history books forever. How good was that by Bruce? He's still got it. You know, we can't, we need more Bruce, not less. And I know, you know, life goes on and things get in the way. But, geez, I love hearing Bruce in his pomp and in his prime. And he's certainly that at Trackside. Uh, nominations coming through for songs. Christmas at uh, Hollis Park by Run DMC coming through. Number one Christmas song is The Seasons Upon Us by the Dropkick Murphys. And then Mick in Townsville's got a nomination for us on the open line. G'day, Mick. Welcome to you. Merry Christmas, mate. Yeah, you too. How you been? I've oh, been all right. should be a warm Christmas up your way, wouldn't it? Yeah, just pleasant. Don't like the cold weather. This is the way to go. <laughs> what, are, what are we talking? What's the forecast up your way for, for Sunday? Um, much of the same. It doesn't change much here from day to day, it's just whether it's wet or not. So uh, it's a bit overcast, but it'll be a good day, I'm sure. Well, high humidity, I reckon. Well, what song are you going to be listening to? What's your go-to? Well, it's not a song per se, but a whole album. Uh, it's by a couple of Aussie fellas called Bucko and Champs, Christmas and uh, they got a bit of a, a variation on all the classic, uh, uh, you know, Christmas songs with a bit of Aussie flair to it. So do yourself a favour and have a listen. I will do myself a favour, Mick. I appreciate that nomination. Uh, thanks for calling in, mate. Really appreciate it. And have a good day on, on Sunday with uh, with the family. 
You too, mate. Thanks a lot. There's uh, Mick up there in Townsville. Uh, keep those nominations coming through. Uh, thanks, Sammy. Play it for longer. It's Bob Murphy's favourite as well. That's David on the Mars. Well, I don't know what song, song you're referring to there. We've played a few. Maybe it was the Pogues one. That sounds like a bit of a, a Bob tune. Or maybe we're going back to the 70s, perhaps, um, with that other song that we played. Uh, keep them coming through anyway. I'm lost by the subject, to be honest. Our news headlines are upon us. So we're going to talk to, after the news, Melbourne United CEO Nick Trulson. Now, the open-air game tonight, United, Taipans, John Kane Arena, and then I think United are about to hit the road. This is a crucial stage of their season. They're 8-11 and fighting for final survival. So we'll catch up with the Melbourne United CEO on the other side of this. And the NFL, don't forget, you can stream every NFL game this season live on NFL Game Pass. NFLGamePass.com Welcome back. This is the Captain's Run. Great to have your company on this Friday morning. I hope your final week of work, if it is that, has gone well and you're all set for Christmas Day Sunday. I thought we'd get you in the mood with a few carols today. Melbourne United, they've won three of their last four now. They've clawed themselves to 8-11 and on this NBL season. And tonight is the much-anticipated return of the open-air game against the Cairns Taipans at John Kane Arena. The Melbourne United CEO, of course, is Nick Trulson. He joins us on the line. Merry Christmas to you, Nick. Thanks, Sam, and to all your listeners as well, and to you and your family. Geez, you do your bit at your club. I love the fact that this is back, the open-air game at uh, at John Kane. Um, it's an exciting um, development, something that you've really taken on board as a club, uh, Nick, and I imagine tonight uh, promises no different. It's going to be a winner. No, sure is, Sam. I mean, we're, we're on track for a sellout. We've got under 300 tickets left to sell. Um, so to have a full house at John Kane Arena with, with all of our fans and um, we're sort of urging everyone to make sure they're there and seated by 7 p.m. The, mm. the game tips off at 7:30, but seven will be doing the unfurl of the of the roof opening. And uh, yeah, we're super excited after not being able to do it during COVID to be able to bring it back, um, which has become a real annual event for us. What goes into it, Nick? I mean, obviously, very keen eye on the radar, of course, and the and the weather conditions. I imagine. Can you let us into the planning around doing something like this? Yeah, it's been pretty amazing and, and a huge um, shout out to my staff who just, you know, do an incredible job. Mark Boyd, our Chief Operating Officer, really drives this day and um, the behind the scenes, it's pretty amazing to see the amount of work and yes, we're all weather experts at this time and, and but we all know living in Melbourne, um, anything can happen. Um, so we'll, about a three hours before tip-off tonight, there'll be some discussions around the radar, where things are at and, and make a decision but like for everyone, and, and everyone's excited, especially having a full house, we want to make sure that we can open the roof, but um, we'll have to wait and see on that. And how does Dean Vickerman, the coach, and his staff go about it? Obviously, outside shooting at times can be dicey when the, when the roof is open. Do, do you have a line of sight on how he goes about it? Yeah, I mean, we've only really got, we'll talk about it during the week, Chris Golding's really the only current player because, unfortunately, David Barlow's out with concussion um, tonight. So, most of our players haven't experienced, but having Chris and Dean and the coaches who have been part of it, being able to talk to our players about it, there is the wind factor that comes into it as well. So besides rain, we also have to be mindful of what the wind factor is. But at this stage, that looks pretty good as well. Now, they do say in the classics, don't they, Nick, that uh, imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. Did I see the Wildcats are about to follow suit here at RAC Arena with an open-air game? 
They are, Sam. I did notice that. And, uh, yes, no, it's, someone in the NBA once told me innovation is great and imitation is faster. So uh, we'll, we'll take that as compliment to, to our rivals over there. But um, I think it's just great for the game. You know, I think we're the only team currently in the world in professional basketball to have an open-air game. So, you know, Melbourne with 50 professional teams um, in Melbourne, you know, you've really got to stand out from the crowd. And yeah. I think basketball is doing a great job, especially having, trying to look at how we can own summer moving forward. Now, speaking of innovation, I mean, I guess as far as the league goes, the biggest innovation this year is, is the fact that you're going to play on Christmas Day and your team uh, is travelling up to Sydney. The clash uh, against the Kings, I think, tip, tip off 6.30 on the 25th. What's the club's um, reception to this been, uh, Nick? Something that you're broadly supportive of? I think it's been, um, it's been challenging a little just from the fact that having our team having to go on Christmas Eve and mm. um, be there Christmas Day and then come home Boxing Day um, but the opportunity has been, you know, when you look at the broadcast, I think it's nearly 20 years, probably since the Gays Copeland era um, of being on free-to-air on Channel 10 in prime time. The fact that we're going to be able to be part of that is is fantastic for us as a club. And the rivalry between Melbourne and Sydney is very strong. And, you know, two huge markets in Melbourne and Sydney having, you know, 6.30pm live in the households. I think, you know, that's a great opportunity for us. And we've seen how big it's become in the NBA um, on the calendar, but you know our, our preference moving forward would be, and we've, we've let the league know that is ideally you have two teams, you know, two teams in Melbourne playing each other on that yeah. day, or two teams in, in Sydney, for example, playing on that day, just so all teams get the opportunity to have have lunch with their families and then and then get off to the game and and have a great experience. Yeah, I know some of your players. I think are going up as you say um, Christmas Eve. I think some might be going up, um, you know, Christmas Day day of the game itself. I mean, is is it? Without giving away all the nitty-gritty, um, Nick, has it, has it been a slightly hard sell for some of the players? Yeah, I think we've got several of our players have young families. And, and as we know, it is a very special moment getting up on Christmas morning with mm. your family. And we've tried to be as open as we can on that. And um, Matt Butcher, one of our courtside um, uh, guys who sits courtside with us, is actually putting on at his uh, beach uh, restaurant dinner for the guys as we arrive Christmas Eve, which is amazing. Just a be able to create some Christmas cheer for the team. Yeah, um, I'm actually bringing my family up on the day as well. I just want to make sure that we're up there supporting the team as well. And and a lot of the families, you know, Rajon Tucker's mum and brother just arrived from the US yesterday, so they'll be travelling up with us. And um, there'll be a fair few of our uh, families up there as well cheering us on. Yeah, oh, no, you, you oh, well part of the greater good, I suppose. But I appreciate it. It must be challenging, you know, all, all at the same time with everyone in different situations, of course, with with their family life and Christmas being the day that it is, of course. But the season as a whole, Nick, I mean, do you feel like you're really building some momentum now that you might have turned the corner? I think, as I said, off the top three of the last four, you're eight and 11. And I think you've got a big road trip uh, stint coming up as well. So th- this is it, isn't it? This is a, a critical time in the season. Yeah, super important. We can try, if we can win tonight and be 9-11 going up um, to Sydney, we then do, as you said, go on the road. We have a final home game against Adelaide on the 5th of Feb um, at John Canterita. And we'd hopefully that could be a, a finals decider, but that would be amazing. But yeah, we haven't got much room for error, so we've got to keep getting the winnings along and, and maybe a bit of luck with, um, you know, it is such an even competition. And mm. I think that's the exciting thing too, that uh, on any game, any team can upset another. And um, yeah, we'll, we'll see how we go. But yeah, we're, the team are definitely feeling really good. The fact of having our full roster together and we've won three of those four games, um, it shows that 
with our best roster, um, we can match it with anyone. Yeah, just on the, the your best roster, obviously Shay Ely, the numbers for him. So five and two with him in the lineup, and three and nine without him, which, which you know some people say might be might turn out to be one of the biggest what ifs of the season. Hopefully not, but uh, he's been something of a barometer. Oh, he's incredible, and as you saw, and and a lot of people got to see with Aaron a sanctum last weekend. Um, the the hucker he did, the traditional hucker he did for. Two great mates in Brad Newley and, and Chris Golding for their milestones last weekend. Mm. On and off the court, he's just an incredible person. Um, you know, Ariel Huckport is a huge loss pre-season, as we know, with his Achilles. But Marcus Lee, who's come in mid-season um, into that spot to play alongside his great friend Isaac Humphreys, he's also made a huge impact. So, yeah, there's, there's a fair bit of confidence there. We're shooting up a lot of um, threes, you know, really trying to get Chris as many shots as we can. And um, Rajon Tucker's really starting to find his way and, um, you know, I know that you know across the board, everyone's feeling confident. Mason Peebling had his best game in the NBL last weekend with 19 points and 11 rebounds. So we know everyone has to play their role, and um, yeah, it's uh, it's going to be a tough game. Cairns have had a phenomenal season so far. You know, very dangerous team, um, and then of course on Christmas Day, Sydney have beaten us convincingly in two games down here. So we definitely owe them one. So it's a 7.30 tip-off tonight. Uh, and just repeating that news, if you are getting along tonight, ideally arrive early. Everyone's seated by 7 o'clock, Nick, is, uh, is the message of the day. No, it definitely is. And, uh, yeah, and Sam, thanks for all your support and everyone at SDN. Um, yeah, we're wishing everyone a Merry Christmas there and all their support of helping us uh, promote the game. Good luck tonight, Nick. Uh, safe travels uh, come Christmas time as well. Best luck against the Kings and the remainder of the season. Appreciate you joining us, mate. Nah, thanks, Sam. Talk soon. There is Melbourne United CEO Nick Trulson. Now, the open-air game tonight, United uh, Taipans, a big event, uh, close to a sellout, as you heard. Uh, should be magnificent. And then uh, onwards and upwards from there, a tricky schedule. But this is it for Melbourne United if they are going to feature at the pointy end of this NBL season. Now, we'll take a break on the captain's run. A lot of song nominations coming through. Rob, appreciate your text from Doreen. You've given me a top five. Admire the dedication to the text. I'll read that top five out on the other side. Here comes Christmas Bob and selling cheap prezzies in the pub. If you've got the cash, then you're in luck. Get a VCR. The Captain's Run with Sam Edmonds. There you go. Whoa, bang. We're just rolling them out here. Keep your nominations going through for Christmas uh, songs that you listen to on Chrissy Day. Rob from Doreen, his top five, if you are interested. Uh, he always listens to, he says. Number five, Last Christmas from Wham. Number four, Christmas Baby, Please Come Home. That's you too. Number three, Do They Know It's Christmas Band-Aid. Number two, How to Make Gravy, Paul Kelly. And number one, Fairy Tale of New York by The Pogues, which has received a stack of nominations uh, over the last couple of hours. The message to sailors in this year's Sydney to Hobart, by the way, uh, it's a clear one. Now get to the finish line while the going is good. I'm not sure what the latest weather forecast is, but I reckon this man has a fair idea. He did 30 Sydney to Hobarts. He's now behind the microphone for Channel 7. His name's Peter Shipway. Good to talk to you again there, Pete. Yeah, good uh, uh, Good morning to you, Sam. How's things? Uh, very well, thank you, mate. I appreciate you jumping on the line and a Merry Christmas to you. What, what, what is the latest forecast looking like for, for Monday's race? Well, it looks great for the start. It's going to be a lovely summer's nor'easter on Sydney Harbour, so the boats will tack down the harbour, get outside the heads, and then they'll point their bows south to Hobart with spinnakers. So a very fast trip uh, down the coast of New South Wales. And it'll get quite fresh across Bass Strait and down the east coast of Tasmania from the north or northeast. 
So it'll be a benefit for the big boats and the middle-sized boats, but they'll probably get in. They'll be close to record pace. Probably not quite at this stage will they break the record, the weather models are saying. But then the little boats and the smaller boats will probably get a bit of a dusting on towards the end of the 28th when a southwesterly change could come across the fleet mm. once the big boats and middle-sized boats are in. So all stacking up for a quick race for the first half of the fleet, the top half and the big-sized boats. But the second half of the fleet, it could be a long passage. But the big boats should be there within one day, 12 hours, or even quicker than that. The record, of course, is one day, nine hours. They'll be close, but I just don't think they're going to get there at this early stage with the weather modelling. Right, OK. I was going to ask you if you thought Comanche's record would survive. So um, in in uh, absolute detail, it was one day, nine hours, 15 minutes, 24 seconds. You reckon she's safe for another year? Uh, just just about. It, it's uh, The weather's changing quite quickly. Um, and it depends how fresh the northeaster gets down the Tassie coast of the big boats. The smaller, middle-sized boats are going to be a lot fresher than the bigger boats, surprisingly, because it gets a bit quiet as they get down towards Storm Bay. So they've got to get across the bay and up the river, which is always difficult to do uh, because the river shuts down at night. So um, it's going to be close, but if I was a betting man, I wouldn't bet on the record right at this moment. Well, that's the big boats, um, obviously, Peter. They're the super maxis, and it's great to have a return, I suppose, to a truly international event, isn't it, given COVID travel restrictions have lifted. But I, I love the family affair for many, and there's a lot of families involved. So there's David Griffith, daughter Holly, uh, Richard Grimes is embarking. I think, did I hear 31st Sydney to Hobart this time with his twins, Jess and Tom, who are co-skippering uh, Asta La Vista. And then, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, I think Richard might have said he met his wife on the Sydney to Hobart in the 80s as well. And then that's right, yeah. you got John Davis and his sons, Luke and Jack. So you can get on each other's nerves out there, Peter, I'd imagine. What family's going to come to blows out there over Bass Strait? Well, I, I think they'll be too busy, really. They'll be hard <laughs> running, so they won't have time for much family politics. But <laughs> yeah. you're, you're right. There's a, there's a lot of uh, great stories out there amongst families. But in some of the two-handed boats, there's father and sons doing the race. How good. So I, I know uh, Michael Bell and his son, Ollie, aboard Mini. They're doing the race together. And there's a couple of others uh, across the fleet. So in a two-handed boat, there's nowhere to hide. There's just your dad and yourself. So uh, there'll be some interesting dialogue, I'm sure. But, um, you know, there's a lot of boats that are out there in the Corinthian spirit. Uh, and I think be fair to say that probably half the fleet are going just along for the ride. Yeah. They'll probably go out there knowing that they really don't have a chance of winning. They may win, win their division or the performance handicap, which is a, um, uh, is a division that's uh, not computerised. So, there are a lot of boats out there just along the, the ride to say that I've done a Hobart race. Yeah, but at least with those two-handed boats, I, I know that the handicap is back this week. I think there was an issue last year, wasn't there? An eligible, there were some concerns over the handicap. So for the two-handed boats, I guess they can still compete for the overall prize uh, in that regard. Yes, that's right. The first time last year that two-handed boats were uh, eligible to even do the race, but they weren't eligible for the overall prize, which is the Tattersall Cup for the handicap winner. But this year, they're all integrated. So it could up easily be a two-hander that carries home that uh, that prize. Um, but they'll have to do pretty well because they're on the smaller side. Mm. I think really at this stage, the 50 or 60 footers could probably dominate the handicap uh, trophy. Yeah, given the way the weather's playing out and what Mother Nature yeah. sounds like she's going to do, it's going to make it, she's not for the faint-hearted out there for the, for the two-handed no. boats. Peter, great. I love it. I'm uh, really looking forward to it on, on Monday and sitting down and watch a bit of it and uh, appreciate your insights again. All right, Sam, and happy Christmas to you and all your listeners. Good on you, Peter Shipway there. Uh, Sydney to Hobart veteran now uh, doing some fine work for Channel 7. You can hear him on Monday 
in the Sydney to Hobart when she commences from Sydney Harbour. Hey, Justin and Anthony, really want to get to your calls, and we will. If you can be a little bit patient, I'll get to you as soon as uh, we come back. we just got to take a break, and I want to hear what you have to say as well right here on the Captain's Run. We're with you for Cobra Golf. Uh, you can win one of five putters on their Instagram account. The Captain's Run with Sam Edmund. ACDC, a bit of Akadaka, Mistress for Christmas has come through off the text a few times this morning as well. I reckon the uh, summer of cricket has been flat. We desperately need a big Boxing Day test. Uh, we've been blessed with so many magnificent moments. I reckon we need another one. Uh, South Africa and Australia doing battle from Monday at the MCG. Justin's in Manor Lakes. He's got a Boxing Day memory for us. G'day, Justin. Merry Christmas. G'day, Sam. Merry Christmas, mate. What's your memory? Um, I remember probably 20 years ago, I think it was against South Africa, and uh, when we woke up in the morning, it was raining, and so play was off. There were 75,000 at the G. At 5.30 in the afternoon, not a ball had been bowled and play was called off. There were still 55,000 at the G, waiting for <laughs> at least one ball to get bowled. Oh, so that was the day, I reckon I might have been there too. That was the day there wasn't a single ball bowl, correct? Yeah, not one. Yeah, yeah not one. I recall. I recall it well. Yeah. I was in the country at the time. I remember listening to Greggy and Chapelli and that on the on the Channel Nine, and they were just, you know, amazed that so many people had stayed to the end of the day. Good on you, Justin. Would have gone through a bit of a yeah, yeah, that's anyway. right. That would have. Good on you, mate. Merry Christmas. Might have the, uh, the exact opposite problem this year. I think she's going to be pretty warm uh, at the MCG, which might be a concern for some people. Uh, Anthony, I know I promised I'd get to you, and I do want to. I just don't want to cut you short. We're coming up to the news. Uh, can I fit you in? Well, can you make your, your point relatively quickly, Anthony? I reckon we've got about 60 seconds. Uh, I'll try, mate. But, yeah, I'm just dumbfounded with, uh, you know, scrutiny's got to come under Andrew Russell down at Carlton. So many back injuries. We've had Andy McKay, uh, not Andy McKay, Harry McKay twice, Tom DeConning, Cripps, Hewitt. I mean, the list goes on and on. You've got McGovern with hamstring injuries. I mean, what, what does it take for uh, heads to roll down there? And, unfortunately, Russell, as head of S&C, needs to come under scrutiny. It's beyond the joke anymore, mate. No, it hasn't been their only rodeo when it comes to, well, uh, injuries in general and back injuries, as you mentioned. Uh, I can understand why they're conservative with the treatment, but you're saying how did they get themselves into this position in the first place? I'm no medical expert, so I can't answer that, Anthony. But uh, you think there should be... Well, they did conduct a review, or they, they have done, according to Luke Sayers, anyway. Well, they have, but what came out of it? Yeah. Well, the players, that, the players that are injured leave the train less. I mean... Is that groundbreaking stuff down there? All I mean, right. You could take McGovern, for instance. He didn't hardly miss a game at Adelaide. Do you agree with Anthony? We'll get to it after this. The Captain's Run with Sam Edmund. We'll just keep it rolling. Uh, Anthony was upset in South Morang. He was a, a Carlton supporter off the back of the latest injury in the off-season for Carlton. This time, back surgery for Sam Walsh that uh, the Blues might not see until the second half of the season. Uh, off the text, 100% agree with Anthony. We've had a terrible injury list ever since Russell got there. That's from Morgs in Lansfield. I think it's really hard with stuff like this. If you're not a medical professional... 
to pass acute judgment. I mean, I'm not sure if this sort of issue is something the club could have ever bulletproofed against. It's uh, obviously a bulging disc, a pressure on the nerve, not exactly um, um, a unique injury. And the operation, I'm not overly familiar with. A microdisectomy procedure in his back. Um, it's a very hard for us laymen and women to pass judgment on um, on, on these sorts of injuries. What I, what I do like is the fact that Carlton did everything they could prior to putting one of their most treasured assets under the knife, and that was a conservative option, rest, um, rehab, recovery, everything else they could have done with Sam Walsh's welfare front of mind. So you can't fault them for that. So I think those of you out there saying surely they could have come to this decision earlier – you know, hindsight is a wonderful thing, but surely with an operation on that part of the body, you're doing absolutely everything you can before you're going under the knife. And that just doesn't go for footballers. I think that goes for every walk of life and any operation in general. But at the end of the day, it, it is a great shame uh, for the Blues who uh, will now lose Sam Walsh for, for many months um, off the back of this uh, injury. He had been, we're told, uh, not only not progressing, but getting a bit of pain in, in recent days and weeks as well. So the decision was almost made for Carlton in the end that uh, they had to put Sam Walsh under the knife. But given his powers of recovery, um, have shown to be pretty uh, pretty good in the past. So uh, if anyone is going to go through it, perhaps it is him. Um, 1981, Paul says, when uh, Hughes, Kim Hughes, made 100 when facing the best attack in world cricket to this day, Boxing Day memories. And how did we forget this? When King Viv was bowled on the last ball of the day. I'm not sure how we overlooked that. Dennis Lilly steaming in. Saviv Richards at the other end, all the swagger, the gold chain out, 1981 Boxing Day Test, one of the most memorable moments, not just in Boxing Day Test match history, one of the most memorable sporting moments ever at the MCG. I love Dennis Lilly striking and then just keeps running, doesn't stop, just runs off the centre wicket area and all the way to the change room and to the race with, with Rod Marsh jumping all over him and the scenes from what became known as uh, Bay 13, absolutely euphoric. I would have loved to have been there on that day. Uh, G'day, Sam. Loving the chat, mate. I reckon some of the A-listers should never be Never bother coming back. Oh, that's very nice of you, Gavin. I appreciate that. Uh, Merry Christmas to you. Uh, I've had this, Sam, says one. Pressure on the sciatic nerve. Worst pain I've ever experienced. Yeah, I... I'm not sure. I'm putting my hand up, obviously, to state the bleeding obvious. I'm unfamiliar with, uh, with A, the injury, and, and B, the surgery. So we, we just bow to the experts in these, uh, in these matters. A great sporting moments we were talking about earlier. Off the text, can't forget about Steph Gilmore. My word, we can't forget about Steph Gilmore. A historic eighth world title this year. The GOAT, the greatest women's surfer of all time. Uh, she was in fifth place heading into the final day at Lower Trestles Breaking California. And then, you might recall, won five straight heats to book a spot in the final, which she then won two heats to nil. And she entered the history books uh, and she was in tears at the end after her latest triumph, an eighth world title for Steph Gilmore. How did we forget about Steph Gilmore? Um, tingles every time, says Henry, by the way. Uh, about uh, every time I hear a Bruce McAvaney call, we played Ollie Hall earlier from the Commonwealth Games in Birmingham, the 1500 metre gold. Everything gets extra meaning. That's from Henry. He was in his element there. Uh, regarding Sam Walsh, Danny, off the text, had a massive two-year load as an 18, 19-year-old, arguably too much for a developing body and a warning to all clubs exposing draftees too much too early. Well, Danny, that's even if it was the issue. I mean, who's to say... 
it wasn't something hereditary. It wasn't something that was going to happen anyway. I mean, who knows whether the training or the footy had anything to do with, with worsening this particular problem for Sam Walsh. For all I know, it had nothing to do with it. Um, uh, why was Walsh uh, allowed to travel to the USA with this injury? Well, Anthony, perhaps um, there were no symptoms then in terms of uh, pain and uh, and all the like. I'm assuming they weren't because uh, they were going down the uh, the natural uh, rehab path at that point of time, a rest and, and recovery. Um, only Carlton can answer that question. Oh, Viv Richards bowled out. I'm so glad Ollie's gone to work and he's he's dug this out of uh, the folder with uh, with Jason's help over there in Adelaide. This is this is a great Boxing Day moment. Well, the atmosphere electric and Lily in to bowl the last ball of the day. He's bowled him. He's bowled him. The last ball of the day. Lily getting one to nip back, finding the inside edge and bowling out for Richards. Well, what a magnificent start for Australia. How good's the sound of that uh, off peg just getting railroaded uh, by the great Dennis Lilly and Tony Gregg up and about in the commentary box just ticked every single box, didn't it? Hey, Scotty Boland's going to join us uh, a little bit later on in the show as well. Coaching now at under-19 level up in Queensland. State talent manager as well. Played in Boxing Day, of course. Now, known for what he did with the ball, but from my memory, and I'm going to check this out during the ad break, I reckon he went unbelievably close to making 100 one Boxing Day test with the with the bat, obviously. So I want to ch- chat to him, his memories of that, nearly notching triple figures with the bat during the Boxing Day test, uh, did Ryan Harris. So we might go down memory lane with him. And, of course, he'll have his thoughts and feelings, I'd assume, on whether it's Josh Hazelwood or Scotty Boland. Uh, we'll catch up with him um, a little bit later on in the show. Some song nominations coming through. Shane in Warnable. Thank God it's Christmas, sung by Queen. Great Christmas song. Good one, Shano. I'm not sure I can get on board with this, but I have been there as a young parent. The Wiggles Christmas playlist has been on repeat in my house. I don't know if I would recommend it. Some people might classify it as torture, but the kids love it. Yeah, I'd happily uh, consign that one to history, but I have been there. I reckon if it got played again, it might send a shiver up my spine. Uh, I was there in 81, says Hubson. Remember being late outside the ground lining up when Chapel made another duck. I've also had bulging discs through footy agony for up to six weeks at a time. That one is from uh, Hudson there. You're welcome to have your say on it. Of course, we can be critical, and I do get the frustration from Carlton supporters. It is another off-season uh, major injury as well, another one to that part of the body. Hard for us to pass judgment, though, I would have thought. Hey, we're here for uh, 40 winks and the temper text uh, powering uh, us as well. 0433981116. You can get your unique bed match profile and find the right bed for you. 40 winks, serious about sleep. I did mention that we've got Ryan Harris shortly, but uh, the open line is open. 1-300-736-736 up until midday. One other topic we wanted to perhaps throw out there today was what sporting headlines we might see in 2023, if you can get your crystal ball out and, uh, and, and play Nostradamus with us, what do you think we're going to read in the paper, here on the radio, see on the television when it comes to big sporting headlines in 2023? They can be footy-related. A lot of coaches going into this upcoming season in the hot seat can be cricket-related as well, can be tennis, a big Australian Open Coming up as well, we've got a Women's World Cup in this country as well with the Matildas in action um, alongside Sam Kerr as well. That, I reckon that will be huge next year and Australia will get right behind the Matildas um, and that'll be a big event. Happy to take your calls and texts about great Boxing Day memories as well. There's so many of those to get through. So keep them coming through and I'll get to as many one as I can. Um, Time to call Dr. Peter Larkins off the text to explain how this surgery works. 
Okay, I reckon Pete might be on a beach sunning himself somewhere, so he might let him be. Uh, unfortunately for Sam Walsh and Carlton, this will be a topic of conversation for uh, several weeks and months, so plenty of time to do all that. Oh, no, he hasn't got the Wiggles Christmas song, has he? He has. All right, I'll play a bit of it into the break, if you will, Ollie. Have a very merry Christmas. Have a very merry Christmas. Have a very merry Christmas day. The Captain's Run with Sam Edmund. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh. Love it. Welcome back. Captain's Run, Sam Edmund with you. Uh, playing carols right throughout uh, the morning. We have been anyway. I hope we're not driving you uh, batty with those. Uh, we've been pretty diverse, I reckon, and we'll uh, we'll cast a heaven forbid. We last, we played the Wiggles going into the last ad break. So who knows what we're capable of up until midday. Uh, off the text, you can live with a defective back without knowing until one day the simplest thing can inflame it. Uh, not sure who texts that in, but appreciate the text. Duna. Any chance of a birthday shout-out for my daughter with um, with a Hutto 13? Evie Kate Nolan turns 13 today. She's just got in the car for the next 20 to 25 minutes. Well, I'm not sure if I've got Hutto's 13 uh, handy, Duna, but uh, happy to wish Evie a happy birthday and a happy Christmas as well. Talk about two big days uh, in close proximity. Hope you enjoy the day, guys, and uh, love your texts uh, right throughout the year and your contribution. Uh, sporting headline for next year is Walsh is back. I don't mind that. Um, we'll run with that. Uh, great teams that don't get enough recognition. Rugby Union Aussie Sevens girls team. They won the Triple Crown, uh, won the World Series, won the World Cup, and beat the favourites New Zealand to win Commonwealth uh, Games gold medal. That's from Stephen. Appreciate you, Stephen. We were talking about great Aussie sporting moments um, throughout the course of 2022. One moment that I haven't mentioned yet was in the T20 World Cup. Um, no, actually, Buddy Franklin's 1,000th goal, I want to mention. That that was unbelievable. I'm not sure if we'll ever see another event like it. And I know that's a, a phrase that was thrown around a lot at the time, but we had so long to contemplate what it might look like and how it would feel and what whether people would run on, would they not run on? And then on that magical night in round two against Geelong, we saw something I'm not sure we've ever seen before. Um, they were streaming onto the field before Lance had even uh, finished his approach to kick the goal. He was walking in there at the SCG for, I think, his fourth. That's what he needed. Fans are already streaking onto the ground at the time to celebrate it. And the way Lance handled it as well, I think, was key to ensure. In difficult circumstances, I'm sure he would have felt um, perhaps a little bit panicky at times. But the way he handled it was massive. And the crowds and uh, worked out beautifully on the night. Uh, Sydney were in control. The result was determined. Um, and you know, Geelong and uh, all the players had to leave the field, but then they came back out. Although that was a, a massive sight. And that bird's eye view of the SCG, of the thousands of people streaming on like ants, was something to behold. Uh, this was how it all played out. Back in round two of the AFL season, Lance Buddy Franklin in his 1,000th career goal. What do you think, JB? Start at the right post and bend it back. He's done it so many times. 999 goals, Buddy Franklin.
That was it on Channel 7. Uh, Lance Franklin, you'll remember the ball went missing for a time. Remember we had the reward, we had the, the manhunt or the ball hunt uh, for it to be returned. And in the end, it was um, presented back to Lance Franklin and um, I think some souvenirs exchanged there. There was all sorts of debate about what the ball might be worth. Could the fan even sell the ball and the like? But um, crazy scenes after that game with uh, with Lance Franklin kicking his 1,000th goal. Uh, certainly a sporting performance that I remember. This wasn't by an Australian, but just coming back to that T20 World Cup, who was it? Was anyone at the Pakistan-India game at the MCG? I mean, I'm not sure that we've ever seen the MCG like this. 90,000 were there. India, Pakistan, you know, a great, almost a great cultural display as much as anything um, of noise, of colour, of music. Uh, for those who went, they say it was a sound that they've never heard before at the MCG. And I reckon, and speaking to Simon O'Donnell on SEM Breakfast uh, in recent weeks might be the sign of things to come there. Um, perhaps some negotiations going on in the background at the moment about bringing both of those teams and countries back to the MCG, perhaps for a one-off test, perhaps for an ODI series, given the attendance and um, and the turnout. And the game that followed, by the way. I mean, Virat Kohli, unbelievable scenes uh, at the MCG uh, to steer his side home. A breathless run chase that... Uh, I know Jared Waitley has said before we'll forever hold a special place in the folklore of our stately ground. That was uh, a magnificent sight to behold. Um, what isn't is that injury to Sam Walsh and uh, AK is in Brunswick and he's called in to have his say on uh, Carlton's latest, I think I can say, off-season injury setback. G'day, AK. Merry Christmas. So do you, mate. How you going, Sammy? I'm going well, mate. What do you think of this? Look, I, I reckon, look, unfortunately, I mean, he's out you're going to trust the doctors, you know what I mean, doing this operation, you know what I mean? Like, they're not going to just say, oh, yeah, just for the sake of it, you know what I mean? End of the day, you're going to need to look at the long term, not the short term, and it's probably the good time now doing it, you know what I mean? And people say, oh, he went away and I went away, but, mate, I've got back pains myself, mate, and it's not easy, and you rather do it now than later. So you have to trust the doctors. We've got the best doctors in town, and, mate, I reckon it's the right option to just do the operation and move forward pretty quickly. What do you? That's my opinion, mate. But I, he's a ripper bloke. He's a ripper bloke. You know what I mean? And unfortunately, he um he has to do the operation, and mate, he'll come bigger and stronger. Good on you, OK. Appreciate your call. Yeah, I mean, the, the, perhaps we can overthink it. If he had symptoms, he wouldn't have gone overseas. Um, I would have thought it's as simple as that. We wouldn't have gone over there with back pain, I wouldn't have thought. Um, and as I said, I don't know how these things work. Fortunately enough, I've never had any back pain to that severity, so I'm not sure um, how those symptoms manifest themselves, whether they come or go. They can come on quickly, of course. You know, we're all throwing darts blindfolded, aren't we, at the end of the day. In the end, Carlton have taken the opportunity to... Uh, to put him in for back surgery. If they'd waited until February and then put him in for surgery, there would have been an outcry then as well. So they've pulled the pin pre-Christmas. He had an operation last night to correct a bulging disc, if you like, in layman's terms and pressure on the nerve there. So, look, ultimately, let's hope it uh, corrects itself. And while the rehab might be long and a little bit painful, uh, at least it provides a finish line whenever that might be and it gets sorted out. Another great Boxing Day moment. We haven't played this and I really wanted to. Uh, I was there on the day... The late Andrew Simons, Roy, clubbing 100. I think his mate Matty Hayden was at the other end and uh, this was an emotional moment for the Australian cricket team and Andrew Simons. He has it. Andrew Simons has it. And what a way to get it. A maiden chess match 100 for a dream entertainer.
Yes, indeed. Uh, a dream entertainer, not a, gra- a bad way to put it, was it, uh, Andrew Simons, uh, with that uh, hundred big hundred Boxing Day test at the MCG off the uh, off the forty wings temper. How about balancing the ledger by broadcasting Buddy's twenty twenty two Grand Final highlights? Brad in Geelong, go Cats back to back. Bradley, please. It's a bit cheeky. And yes, I've got no problem with your Cats winning the premiership. I wouldn't, given the lopsided nature of that game, have it up there. Uh, in my collection of great Aussie sporting moments uh, of the year, but you wouldn't give a stuff about that, nor should you, because your footy club has been absolutely magnificent and one of a number of clubs looking for a new captain. So uh, at the other side of Christmas, we're going to have seven, eight, maybe nine clubs appointing new captains. Uh, Who takes over from him down at Geelong? Joel Selwood, Uh, massive, massive shoes to fill. Tom Stewart, perhaps, is the popular choice, but uh, they are flushed with a number of options, aren't they? Um, the Geelong Footy Club. Um, what else can we talk about? How about this? Cameron Green leading into the Boxing Day test as well. The underused, underutilised all-rounder. Lots of debate about his standing in the side, Cameron Green. Perhaps not the numbers we expect. Do we play the long game with him? Do we back him in for the long term to give him the security? Well, he did speak to the media yesterday, Cam Green, about his, uh, well, how did he put it? His weird Aussie summer of cricket thus far. Yeah, no, it's definitely been a weird start to the summer for myself. Um, Not having to do too much, but um, it's probably a sign of how well the team's playing, I think. Um, Yeah, we've been winning games of cricket, and that's kind of what you want. So um, I think, yeah, as a teammate watching how well the guys are playing. It's pretty awesome to see. There you go. That was uh, Cameron Green there. Surely he gets uh, more of an opportunity with bat and with ball uh, against South Africa in this upcoming Boxing Day test. Uh, Lockie and Warnable, Brett Robinson breaking a 36-year-old Australian record in the marathon has to be the sporting achievement of the year. Good call, Lockie. He broke Deeks' record. Uh, it was only a few weeks ago now. I think it was um, magnificent performance from him. We had Steve Monaghetti on at uh, SEN Breakfast. Those guys were just tough hombres, weren't they? Moners and Deeks. And the fact that Deeks's record had stood for so long um, is testament to uh, to how good he was. But uh, Brett Robinson, uh, a magnificent performance from him, breaking that Aussie marathon record. Uh, Brian Cook off the text here said post-season that nobody at Carlton had any idea what was going on with strength and conditioning at Carlton. He was spot on. Did he say that? I'm not sure he said those words. <laughs> I'm not sure he said those words at all, to be honest with you. But I did touch on earlier. We did hear from Luke Sayers, the, the Carlton um, chairman, president, who uh, on the Summer Sessions podcast that Carlton run at this time of the year did say that they had a good look at the high-performance area in a bid to, well, who knows, review it, get to the bottom of it. We don't know what uh, changes, if any, they instituted. But um, that's something that Carlton are at least are aware of. And how could they not be? Because um, all clubs have injuries, of course, but they uh, at least have seen to be uh, copping more than most, particularly to the top end um, talent on that list. And not just in the summer months either. You'll remember going into those final couple of rounds that they couldn't quite make it to finals. They had Hewitt injured. They had Kennedy injured. They had Pitnett, who missed a lot of footy. Um, uh, De Koning had missed footy going back away as well. Um, Zach Williams had missed a lot of footy. Mitch McGovern had missed a lot of football. So um, they'd been hit at both ends of the year in the end. Uh, Cam Green off the text is the one who needs to be dropped. Send him back to learn more craft. I reckon that that feeling is more in the minority than the majority, but just a hunch on that one. I think most people are prepared to let uh, Cam Green really... um, have a good clean run at it, even if the the planets aren't aligning for him at the moment because of the promise that he could 
uh, show for us. He could end up, according to some, being one of the greatest all-rounders we have produced. You can get your unique bed match profile and find the right bed for you, 40 Winks. They are serious about sleep. You can give us a buzz as well up until midday, one 736 Drop us a text anytime on that 40 Winks temper, 0433 We might get into the newsroom to catch the headlines. And on the other side of that, we're going to go up to Brisbane and catch up with uh, Ryan Harris, former Aussie Quick, played Tests for Australia, played ODIs for Australia, their Queensland State Manager as well, and um, and took charge of their under-19s team at the recent National Championships. But we've got to open by asking him the question of the summer. Who's he going with? Is he going with Hazelwood? Is he going with Boland? And yes, he's Sydney-born, but he now lives in Queensland. So can we call him Switzerland in this debate? Hopefully we can. I know that's where you'll be going. I know that's what you're thinking. We'll get the news headlines and we'll be back with Ryan Harris on the other side. Welcome back. It's the Captain's Run. A couple of sleeps out from Christmas. Great to have your company on a Friday morning. Hope you're all set for a big and wonderful weekend. Ryan Harris, he played 27 tests for Australia, 21 ODIs in an international career that ran from 2009 to 2015. And the former Quick is now Queensland's uh, Queensland Cricket State Manager. And he recently took charge, of course, of the state's under-19 side at the National Championships. Ryan, good morning and a Merry Christmas to you. Yeah, same to you, Sam. Good morning. Thanks for joining us, mate. We appreciate it. The, the question of the summer, though, before we get to all matters um, next generation up there in Queensland is, yeah. Hazelwood or Boland for Boxing Day, please? Oh. <laughs> An <laughs> easy one first up. <laughs> I've been asked this a few times. <laughs> um, as I normally do, I sit on the fence. Um, oh. Oh, no, look, I, I think... Um, oh, my, 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 obviously, my head's just saying Hazelwood. I just I love the way he bowls. He's been so good for such a long time for us. Um, and what he does is so good, and and his record is obviously unbelievable. My, my my only concern would be going into this test visit would be is he hasn't played, hasn't got a lot of any game time under his belt. Now he's obviously a professional and season campaigner. He probably, you know he may not need that, but hmm. when you've got a guy like um, you know Scotty Boland who's obviously got game time and, and bowling the house down, um, I'd probably be leaning that way um, towards Scotty Boland. He's just He's just done everything. He's done everything right, and you know you, you, you talk about well, as a cricketer, you talk about if there's an opportunity, you've got to grab it. Um, unfortunately, there has been one with with Josh missing out. Uh, he's grabbed that and done really, really well. And we, he's going back to a ground that he knows pretty well. So, yeah, um, I'd probably lean towards Scotty Bowen. I'm sorry, to, sorry, Josh Hazelwood, but um, I'd probably lean towards just towards Scotty. Yeah. Well, not only has he, has he um, grabbed his chance, I'm not sure he could have done any more, um, Scotty Bowen. 24 wickets at 10.3 and 5 tests. I mean, so you wonder what message it send, sends if he is omitted from the side. But at the same time, I'd imagine if you're in that dressing room at the moment like you were, Ryan, there's yeah. perhaps an argument that, you know, you've got credits in the bank and that you, you've 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 performed over a long period of time and there's that understanding that um, you can have a... I know Adam Gilchrist is of a similar mm. mind that you can have that cohesion and it's not like you you lose your spot for injury and you can never get back in so it's a it's a in many ways they can't go wrong and in many ways they can't go right either no exactly right and, and i guess the what you say there is spot on and i think the bottom line out of this is that what we from from my point of view from a bowling point of view we've got uh, unbelievable depth again in mm. our fast bowling stock so 
you know that if Josh Hazelwood does get the nod, you know he, you know he's going to he's well class. You know he's going to he's going to do a great job. Um, but again, yeah, it's 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 one of those. It's a great dilemma to have with um, you know which guy should we play, and and that's what you need um, to, to, to have cricket strong strong in the country. You need those. Um, you need that sort of question. If, well, not every time they play, you play or pick a side, but you know when it comes down to one or two spots, who should we play? It's it's a great thing to have. So well, that's a pleasing thing for me. And, and again, I probably don't want to be that. I wouldn't, I wouldn't like to be Tony Dottomate and, and uh, George Bailey and, yeah. and, um, and Andrew McDonald to come and, you know, to make that because you're, going to, you, you're potentially stopping the Victorian playing in Victoria. We know how grumpy they get. It's going to be fascinating. <laughs> it's going to be a fascinating uh, decision. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Now, Boxing Day, I mean, you obviously made your name with the ball. We, we know that. But uh, I was going to ask you for... Boxing Day memories. Now you've got a, a famous one with the bat, and I'm, I want to. I want you to take us back, Ryan, if you can, to 2014 India. Yeah. You got yourself. What did you? I reckon you got yourself into the 70s, didn't you? Yeah, got the 74, and it wasn't many times when I felt pretty good with the bat, and that yep. was one of those days. And we were miles ahead. So it's, it's, the, the thing I loved playing in that side when we we batted well is I when I did come in, the bowls are in their fifth, sixth, seventh spell. So that's when you want to bat. <laughs> <laughs> That's when you want to come out when the bowls aren't so quick anymore. So yep. they're not the, like the quick bowlers. So, yeah, I got I was in the seventies. I was going real not really nicely. Um, I might have just got a bit. I actually got a bit ahead of myself. I was just trying to find where my wife was sitting in the stands, ready to celebrate my hundred. Oh. <laughs> and then the next ball, I tried to hit another six and got out. So I just I just sort of got a little little bit ahead of myself. So, um, but that was a good day. I mean, I, I always loved batting. Um, and, and again, batting against a tight, a tight attack and. Uh, batting Shaw Marsh, I think he got run in. I got run out for ninety nine in that game. I think um, oh actually, but my memory serves me right. But it was it was always good to you know if there was a batter out there to bat with someone who who was on a big score. It was always you know confidence wise, it was great to do. So, but, but Boxing Day Test, um, oh, look every every one of my games I played, I loved. But mm. um, a dream come true for me to stand at the top of my mark at the Boxing Day Test. test. Uh, with a brand new Kookaburra uh, in the National Series, that was a that was a big tick. I reckon, absolutely. Geez, if you're yeah. getting ahead of yourself at 74, what of what you would have been like at 94? You might have been rehearsing oh, the celebration. <laughs> I would. I, well, I hate to think what I would have been like in the 90, <laughs> if, I had, if I got to the 90. I never got. To, I didn't make the first class hundred, which is a bit of a regret of mine. I got the 94. I think was my best score in in England. That was, but um, yep. yeah, never, I, yeah, I wasn't out there very long. Um, in, in sort of test or first class cricket, so getting the ninety would have um, it would have been would have been interesting. Well, mate, your bowling average is what uh, looms large twenty three and a half, I think it was, and um, five wickets in a match five times, and, and a best of seven for one hundred and seventeen, I think. So that's what you're all about, of course. And now coaching uh, the next generation of talent up there at Queensland, you took Queensland Metro, who uh, unfortunately you lost the final to New South Wales Country. Um, but what did you make of the tournament itself? Oh, fantastic tournament. Um, firstly, um, I'd have to, have to congratulate CA and the South Australian Cricket Association. The the um, the, the, facil- the facilities and the grounds and pitches we played on just made the tournament awesome. It, it was it was you know scores high scores um, of, of three hundred plus, and uh, so some really good batting, some really challenging bowling for the, for the young bowlers. Um, now, a few of the carnivals I've you know played um, not played in, but um, um, coached before, there's been wickets that are a bit slow and low. So, mm-hmm. you know, 220, 210, 220 has been par, but, you know, their scores are 260, 280, like I said, over 300 and, and, some, and, and being chased down. So that's really good cricket and, and great for the young young guys that um, get that experience of chasing big scores. And obviously, as I said, you know, the bowlers learning how to cope with, you know, one day wickets at the international level are really flat, and that's what these were. So it was a great um, carnival for that. 
Um, Queensland, yeah, we, we look, we had a we had a great great good carnival. We just fell short yesterday. We're up, up against a very very strong New South Wales side. So um, look, the, the the future is very bright. There's some, there's a lot of good cricketers. Um, uh, well, there were, in this this ten days, there, there was a lot of good cricketers. I've, I've been involved with this sort of a, a little, little while now, and, and seen some of those guys from under 15s all around the country develop. And, and there's some there's some cracking young kids coming through. So, um, and I yeah, I look forward to watching them over the next few years, and hopefully make their journeys into state cricket, and then if not further. So, what's it like for these guys at this stage of their career, Ryan? I mean, that, do they feel the pressure? Are, are they all hell bent on making it? And the reality is, it's so difficult to do that. I mean, can you let us into the psyche of these? These young men in yeah. the in the dressing room and the, and I guess you know their hopes and dreams and, and all the the pressures of modern day sport. Yeah, it, it's probably well the way I sort of see it. Obviously, they put pressure on themselves playing club in club cricket back in their states. But for these guys, a lot of it, you know, you might get lucky and get a few that have been through last year, so you get the, to the top ages as we call them. But a lot of them, I had a lot of bottom ages this year, so first year nineteen players and and some of these and those guys. Normally, you have the 17s to sort of get introduced to that. We haven't had 17s carnivals due to COVID. So a lot of my guys were, were quite young. And, and it was the same in most of the states, actually, had a lot of young guys. So mm. this is their first real, um, I guess, in their minds, you know, um, introduction to the big time where everyone's watching. You've got, you know, you've got Tony Dottomate, who's Australian selector. He sort of has a link to the, to the national pathway. He's watching. And, 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 and the other thing about it is from this tournament, and it's been it's a it's a great result for cricket Australia and, and these young blokes as we, you know, there was an under nineteen Australian side squad. Well, it's going to be picked from this tournament, so that's a reintroduction due to COVID of England coming over to play. I think at the end of January last year, so there's that little bit of extra pressure as well. So this is really the introduction to that. It's you know they do put a lot of pressure on themselves, and that's one of the things I try and coaching. We've had in the yeah. build up to this. I, I get a, a, a psychologist in to, to, to make sure he's talking about all that sort of stuff and, and, and what is pressure and how to deal with it and you know uh, not to get too far ahead of themselves and think that they want to make the Australian side, all that sort of stuff. Very similar in, in a very mini, uh, sort of miniature way, I guess, what, what the Australian setup is and what I went through. Uh, and that's part of my job to do that. So they do, they do. They put pressure on themselves. Um, but the, 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 job, the job, as I said, my job is to try and calm them down yeah. Don't worry about what you know, why they're there, and why we why I pick them in the first place, and that's because their skill is is good, and that's what they've got to execute on them when they when they go out and bat or bowl. Yeah, it's good to hear, mate. And it's such such a big part of it in the modern uh, game, regardless of the sport, isn't it? As much about um, you know, a happy dressing room is a successful one as well, and yeah. these guys have got to be at peace with it. And as much as it's about the skill and what happens in the middle, it's a, it's the mental side of things also. Um, are you playing golf today? Speaking of mental uh, fortitude, yeah. are you having a hit today, Ron? <laughs> I am. I'm. Uh, I'm going to go have a hit at the Grange Golf Club, at home of the Live Golf. Actually, I'm going to really looking forward to playing that course, getting a look at it. So, I love being in Adelaide. Obviously, I'm from Adelaide. I'm, I'm hanging back for a couple of days to spend some time with family down here. Yep. My wife and kids have been down here, so um, it's an unbelievable day here in Adelaide. And um, a mate of mine just picked me up. We just at his house. We're just about to set sail for the golf club, so I can't wait. I've had a hit for a couple of weeks, so I'm looking forward to it. I'll let you go. But what do you hit him off? Oh, look. Roughly, I'm off six at the moment, but I'm very, I'm struggling to play to it because of what we just spoke about. It's taken up too, too much of my time coaching these young kids. <laughs> so well, um, I don't play as much as I like, but um, 
yeah, I'm not complaining that way. I love my job. Well, mate, a lot of uh, texts coming through in praise of you. Uh, Anthony uh, texted in before saying, bone on bone in 2014 at Cape Town, only a few overs left to win the test in the series and upsteps Ryan Harris, one of the great days watching test cricket live. That's from Andy Mitchum. So, mate, uh, you are fondly remembered it and good on you for giving something back to the next generation. Uh, fantastic. Merry Christmas. No worries, sir. Thanks, and Same to you. Merry Christmas and thanks very much, mate. Cheers. There you go. Ryan Harris there, former Aussie quick um, and, yeah, one of those ones. He rolled the sleeves up, didn't he? Bit of G&D, never heard anyone and now our coach of the Queensland um, under-19s and the state talent manager up there and um, pretty handy off the stick, off six. I reckon he'd be long off the tee too. I reckon that ball would stay hit. Um, we are here, by the way, for Cobra Golf as well. You can win a free putter uh, via their Insta feed. Uh, 736 is the number to ring. The 40 Wings temper text 0433981116. I do... Uh, with some sort of trepidation, throw this ad break. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what sort of uh, what sort of soundtrack Ollie's going to take us in the break with. But uh, let's have a listen. Oh, straight away! He's crashed into the stumps. England have lost their first wicket with the first ball of the innings. The captain's run with Sam Edmund. Oh, I love Christmas. I always will. Oh, Christmas carols, may they just roll on and tunes in general. The nominations are still pouring through. Uh, hi, Sam, my favourite, Do They Know It's Christmas by Bob Geldof and Live A. That's from Vicky Marupna. Merry Christmas to you, Vic. Uh, loving the carols, chaps. It's a brilliant time of the year. And the smile on uh, Evie's face then was priceless. Yep, happy birthday to Evie. Uh, thanks uh, for all SEN do. Merry Christmas to all. And the greatest Christmas song is No Presents for Christmas by a legendary heavy metal artist, King Diamond. Jared Waitley at the top of the show, very strong on Scotty Boland over Josh Hazelwood. He said if the latter was picked for Boxing Day, it would be a case of blatant favouritism. Uh, Ryan Harris joined us just a few moments ago. Of course, he had his say on that and Boxing Day memories and, of course, coaching uh, Queensland's next generation of talent. Speaking of next generation talent, Campbell Calloway, how impressive is that young man? 20 years of age, a real star on the rise with the bat, with the Vicks and the Melbourne Stars, 100 against South Africa, of course, in that Prime Minister's eleven match at Allen Border Field. You have the feeling that he's destined for big things. And he's in action today. He's in action in uh, three and a bit hours. Uh, the Stars and the Scorchers at Junction Oval. If you're looking for something to do this afternoon, you're in and around Melbourne town. Uh, it's overcast, tad gloomy, but no wind, pretty warm. And no sign of rain. So it might be a good day to go and watch some uh, cricket down there at the junction. Big Bash style. Peter Shipway joined us. All things Sydney to Hobart, which, of course, uh, we bang on about the cricket, is a massive part of Boxing Day as well. And Melbourne United CEO Nick Trulson, uh, another emerging piece of the Australian or Melbourne sporting calendar is the open-air game. And uh, tonight at 7.30, the tip-off for that one it is Melbourne United, and they are up against the Cairns Taipans. And not just a showpiece game in terms of uh, the roof being open, but a pivotal game for Melbourne United if they are going to continue this resuscitation into their NBL campaign, 8 and 11 on the season. They want to be turning 9 and 11 by the time they get up to uh, that Christmas Day uh, tip-off game uh, in the evening of uh, the 25th against the Sydney Kings, which 
Nick Trulson did admit had been a tough sell for some of his players, particularly those with young families, given they need to travel and they will do in bits and bobs too on Christmas Eve and in, in some instances the morning of the game itself on Christmas Day. So if you missed any of those chats, they are podcasted as always. They are up and available on sen.com. Dot au. Uh, on the other side of our final break, which we're about to take, Sammy Hargroves is in the chair for afternoons. And this man has just had a massive sit-down interview with John T. Rhodes, one of the greatest fielders in the history of cricket. I still remember that 1992 World Cup run out when the South Africans were here for that uh, 50-over World Cup. So looking forward to listening to that. But you know what I most want to hear from him? I want his favourite Christmas song. And also on his favourite sporting moment of 2022 as well. So uh, he's scratching his head out the back there. I reckon we can prize both of those things uh, out of him before he takes the reins for a big edition of uh, Afternoons on this Friday. Arvo, soon to be. And it's been great to have your company. We'll take our final break and we'll be back to have a chat to Sammy and tidy up right after this. Nice, Gary! The Captain's Run with Sam Edmund. Had a lot of fun with you this morning. Appreciate all your calls, all your texts. Thanks for listening. Hope you have a safe Christmas. We have been here for Cobra Golf. Win one of five putters on their Insta. And uh, this man needs no such help with his golf. He's one of the finest golfers in the building. Uh, Sammy Hargraves is here. Samuel. Head stuff. (laughs) How are you? Oh, I'm going to walk out. Um, No, I'm good. You, Merry Christmas to you and yours. And to you. So tell us. Christmas song on Christmas Day. What is it? Well, clearly you can't go past how to make gravy. Oh, Almost done Australian, but I know that's been done. Yeah. So if you want something a little different, try this. The pile, my teddy bear left me the mess. The season's upon us. It's that time of year. Brandy and eggnog. There's plenty of Brandy and eggnog. Yeah, yeah. So educate me. The Dropkick Murphys. Oh, we might have got a text on them earlier. Yeah. Um, they call this Christmas where I'm from, or the season it's called. Um, but it's a rip. It's a ripper. They call this Christmas where I'm from. It basically just describes an absolute train wreck of a Christmas. But for some <laughs> families, that's what it is each and every year, and they'll turn up each and every year and do the same thing again, and at the end of it, they'll give each other a hug and say, we'll do it all again. Complete and utter chaos. In 12 months' time. Uh, so that that is a good, fun song on a Christmas day. The 12 months we've had in sport, what caught your eye? Oh, look, there was so much, wasn't there? Yeah. I mean, recently the Socceroos, Ash, Cam Smith, yep. uh, all of those magical moments uh, from around the world, what we did at the Com Games. And um, so there's plenty to take out from a whole range of different sports. But it, just the events of recent, the events of the last week, I can't, fans make or break sport. And we've got two different examples of the best and worst this year, and they're both pitch invasions. So my greatest moment of the year is the best one. Tens of thousands of people storm the field to get around Buddy Franklin to yep. celebrate becoming the sixth player to kick a thousand goals. They made the moment the fans. So for me, that's the moment of the year because it was the fans that made it even greater. Love it. I'll never forget John T. Rhodes' Superman run out, the 1992 World Cup up at the Gabba. Yep. One of the greatest fielders of his generation. And you've got a nice interview with him, a little one. Oh, it's, long, it's lengthy. <laughs> I was a little bit giddy. I was a bit excited. Stay with him. Sammy Hargraves is up next. And John T.